I'm fired up. You fired up? Let's do the damn thing. Oh, you know what time it is. It's time to take it to the burn land. It's about to go down. Hope you're all ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's go. Come and roll with me to the burn land. Friends got to giving you the word, man. Any other BS is absurd, man. Sports talk and they give it to you firsthand. They can talk turps. They can talk O's. Yeah, they both lit. That's how it goes. Baltimore squad. Ravens and Poe. Better tune in. Here gonna show. Birdland, Birdland, Birdland. BS. Birdland, Birdland, Birdland. What's up, BSers? Fired up! Fired up! You fired up? Let's go! Let's go! Fred Scott, James, and Drew in the house tonight, man. We got a full studio, ready to rock. Yeah, man. A lot of things to talk about. As, uh, Orioles finished 500. Can you say that again? The Orioles finished 500 heading into the All-Star break. I love the sound of that. I know, man. It's exciting times. I love, exciting times I love next year when it's going to be better. I hear that. It's all up from here. It's all up. We're trending, man, especially after the uh, the draft. We had the draft now yeah. complete. We're talking the latest additions to Birdland, and are we happy with the results? Yeah, I'm interested to get, a, get you guys to take There were a few that were surprising and uh, a few interesting pieces coming out of the draft, so we'll yeah. talk about that uh, as well as the All-Star break itself. And then training camp, guys, it's underway with the Ravens. Rookies reported yesterday. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a, a way too early trip around the NFL, give our uh, our pre preseason picks uh, for the 2022 playoffs, uh, give you who we think is going to make it from each division and, and really break it down for you. But that's, uh, that's how little is going on in the NFL world. We're talking pre preseason picks right now. So we're talking about practice. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about pre practice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we man. got a lot to talk about, man. It's going to be an exciting show. Make sure you guys are getting all your questions and comments in. We'll try to answer them as we go along. James controlling the chat room over there tonight. Right. All right. Got, you guys got to remember, too, man, the team over at MD Crash we've been telling you about for the last couple years. Well, they've expanded more lawyers and handling a much broader spectrum of cases now. Still handling all your auto and accidents and injuries at work, of course. But now the team at Bowers, Hassan, and Herndon can help you with family law issues from divorce to custody to even child support. Uh, so if you need a team that will represent you and represent you well, make sure you uppers, uh, yeah, update that number now, 667-220-6500. Call or text them anytime. Uh, that number again, 667-220-6500. Get the team at Bowers, Hassan, and Herndon on the case for you. Oh, man. It's been a while since It's you been a said minute that. since I did it, so <laughs> I fumbled through it a little bit. By the way, uh, credit to John Googs. Uh, uh, he, he also, you know, I, I was sitting here thinking about this as you, as you were going through that ad read, and I was like, hmm, you could pick Bowers, Hassan, and Herndon to represent you better than Buster Only represents the Orioles. hey <laughs> Fuck Buster Only. That statement for sure. <laughs> All right, guys, but we're going to stick with the trend, right? Last yeah. week was the, the first time in a while that we started with Orioles talk. Uh, and we're going to probably that. be the last few times. Probably. Yes. <laughs> probably one of the last ones as football seasons get ready to start, man. But as I mentioned, team finishes 46 and 46 at the All-Star break uh, after a two-game series sweep in Chicago of the Cubbies. 
and losing two out of three down in Tampa, which was a good series. Uh, would have liked to have seen them take at least two out of three there, but uh, they was, end up on the was a good side. series, but hurt after our conversation. Yeah, last week. I'll I know, be right? honest. I'll be honest. It hurt a little, James. Yeah, it's finally starting to cool down in this room a little bit from last <laughs> week. It was uh, an intense show. Reminds me, I need to turn the air conditioner up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like we talked about last week, again, I don't think anybody in this room or anybody really in Birdland had any real expectations of this year. It was really just a year of development, right, and continuing the upward trend. We were talking about maybe like a plus 10 win season would be good. And that was, you know, 52 wins last year. If we finished somewhere in the 62 to 65 realm, I think we'd all be really, really happy. Yeah. Well, right now we're on pace for 82. Right, we're yeah. on a on a really really good pace, which would uh, be which would be a a no matter what James says from last week, it would be <laughs> a playoff contender if it wasn't the fact that we play in the hardest division in all of baseball. Right, and here's the thing: like, do any of us expect them to win the World Series this year? No, right. No. But do we expect them to be in the playoffs? None of us did at the beginning of the year, but now we actually have a shot. Right, we actually have a chance. So these next couple of weeks. Uh, leading up to the trade deadline are, are going to be very interesting to see what happens with this roster and what happens with this team. Because uh, even around the clubhouse, right, they talked to Jordan Lyles uh, after his rough start the other day in Tampa. He said, I think we're better than that. I think we're better than 500. I think a lot of the guys in the clubhouse after the last few weeks know we're better than that. I don't think we're here to go away. We're here to stay. So it's not – it's just, just Which, us being homers and that's just us being fans. But that's part of – What's so great about what's going on this team is that the positivity, positivity, even in lower times, they believe that was, just, that was like to your point. That was that was not a pretty outing of this. No, not at it all. It was not pretty. He had a 27 pitch first <laughs> inning. Uh, it's probably one of his worst outings of the year, to be yeah. honest with you. He was beaten by the long ball a couple of times. He only went like what two and two thirds, right? Yeah, he only went so. two and two thirds. Gave up six hits, six runs. It was a rough start. But you know, Jordan Lyles, he's been. He's been a bright piece to me because we brought him in for one purpose, right? You brought him in to be an innings eater, and that's what he's done. He's leading this staff. He's going deeper into games. Obviously, this game was kind of the anomaly for him. Uh, he's in the upper fours, I want to say, in ERA for the year. So, again, it's what you expect out kind of, a four, of number four. I, exactly. It's kind of what I expected him. But what I didn't expect, again, was to be in this type of position at 46 and 46. What I expected was for Jordan Lyles to come in play this well and him be yeah. a trade piece going out to bring more prospects in. But now again, that narrative changes. Do they trade him out? Do they keep him? Uh, he seems to be bought into what's going on here. And I think the Orioles are bought into what he's doing. And to your point, you know, he was brought in to eat those innings. He's really done that. Yeah. Uh, I think when you were looking at the stats, you kind of alluded to that as we were talking in, in the, the pregame 107 and two thirds innings. Uh, that's 11 more than anybody else on the Orioles has gone. Since Brandon Hyde's been here. Not just this year. That's 11 innings in his yeah. entire tenure since he's, since he's been here at the halfway point. So it, it just goes to show you that, that there's something here, right? So it got me thinking, and I, I wanted to ask you guys, this is, this is to the room. This Orioles MLB level season has been described in many different ways so far yeah. by many different people. Let's get your take now that the, the first half has technically been over. We're 10 games over the first half, technically. But everybody looks at the all-star break as truly the first half. That's how we've always looked at it. So let's keep it that way. So looking at the first half, I'm going to ask everyone to either give me a one word or a short phrase that you feel sums up 
the first half of this season for the Orioles? That's easy for me. It's overachieving. Like, okay. I mean, this team, again, like what they've done this year in the first half, it's not – it's not that they just got hot for a couple of games. Yes, they went on that 10-game winning streak, and it was great. They didn't get just hot for a couple of games. Outside of the first month of baseball, outside of April, they've played great right? Yeah. for the last couple of months leading up to this. So to me, it's it's overachieving way over expectations of where I thought they would be. So that's that's how kind of I would sum this year All right. so far. I'll throw it over to, uh, to Drew. Okay. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, we got you. For some reason, I, I talked earlier, and I couldn't tell if I could – if you guys could hear me or not. Yeah, we got you. I know you got to do it. Uh, <laughs> David uh, uses word, optimistic. I like one it. One word, vindication. Yeah. Because the last couple of years, obviously, they went bare bones. And, I'm, and I know we're talking about major league level, but yeah. they went bare bones. They developed this minor league system into arguably the best. I'm starting to see their second, you know, first or second, depending on who you look at. They're the best. All right. Um, <laughs> you built up the best farm system in baseball. But then on the major league roster, you can still see that. You got Adley up. Grayson would have been. You know what I mean? Grayson, I, I, I try to add him in there because I think he would already, we already know he would already been up there. But you see the development of a lot of like the pitching, like Wells and Kramer, and then the bullpen guys in, in Perez and Lopez and Bautista, where it's like it isn't just about building the farm system. It's about player development that we always heard about too. And it's showing that the, the way they do things – it's working, and that is just, like I said, vindication for the last couple of years for Orioles fans having to deal with the crap and having to justify wanting to still have interest in it. Right. right. Vindication. So, I like it. Vindication, optimism. James, where are you at? Electric. Boogie, woogie, woogie, woogie. <laughs> <laughs> James where I expected out the music James tonight. To go. No, it's not. Not where I expected him to go at all. What do we got, James? Why are you electric with this team? Yeah, it's... it's it's fun baseball. It's not like, oh, here we go. We just have a lineup out there. You're actually starting to know guys um, that are coming up and that's going to be around for the long haul. Um, people are coming out. like It's getting that, that feel back, even though I just love baseball in general. But going the energy's the, back yeah, with the yeah. fan base. With, yeah. every, with everything, it's great. That's why I said it's electric. Like I like it. For You're the last couple more, more years. Stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. last couple years. It's like, you know, it's a passing storm waiting to, you know, get by. And then now you're just seeing, like, social media going off, like, who are you going to pick? Like, or, you know, who's starting tonight? Like, you, you're reading up on that. Or I can't wait to see Adley at the ballpark. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. before last couple of years, three to four years, like, uh I hope there's something good on TV tonight. I like it, man. James with the positivity. I know, right? Especially after last week, Oof. man. I love hey, it. That extra surprise. <laughs> I love extra, it. Extra shout out to James, though, for that uh, right. TV uh, streaming hookup that allowed me to watch it. <laughs> listen, listen. Drew and James hooked up. They kissed. They <laughs> hugged <laughs> after the show yeah. and all that stuff. The they made up. <laughs> so oh, what are you going uh, to use for one word to describe um, the season? I, I would say if I'm going one word. I would say validating. Okay. And it kind of alludes to what, what Drew said. You all, When you started, I was like, he's not going to say validating. He's not going to do it. I wasn't even going to be vindication. I literally came up with that as Fred was talking because it was going to be trust the process. I'm like, nah, it's too close to the 76ers. And then I'm like, they're talking about major league level. Let's get away from the process and go with it. We can always steal one from the Terps. The best is ahead. Yeah, right. I like it. Uh, no, I, I, think, I think for me, it, it, it was, it's, Kind of like what Drew was saying. It's validating everything that's happened because now we've heard for so many years the talent, mm -hmm. right? 
oh, the ta- we have talent. And the talent either comes up and we they have serious struggles mm-hmm. or we wind up being in a situation that it's just one guy. Difference is now you have talent and it's more than one guy. Yeah. You will have multiple guys. You're starting to it's, see that wave of prospects coming it, it, up. And it's, it, you know, I was between validating. I had, you know, exciting. I had, you know, ecstatic, whatever you wanted to kind of call it. But it was like, you know, I kind of led towards that validation because what we're starting to see is what we've been talking about since Mike Elias took over. Mm-hmm. We talked about the the feeling of that teardown. And it's validating the whole fuckbuster only, only thing last week, it's because it's so validating that everybody sees it except Buster only. Yeah. Yep. It, the problem was is that Buster was blinded by the many years of problems here that we all agree on. Well, just to let you know, I I happened to watch the 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 first episode of the Captain. Yeah, that was really good. Actually. It was really good, actually. You know, so he was a Yankee beat reporter. Yeah, for beat that. writer for him. Yeah. So. He probably like always been on there, but I seen that. I was like, well, that could be a part of it. That's He's actually a good point. I did see that during the the whole thing in the I documentary. Like, oh, that makes sense. Fuck Buster. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that guy. And, and it's you're right because as as we're doing, it, I'm showing I'm showing Fred this because I tried sending this in the chat, but unfortunately, we have an Android phone in our chat. And for Fuck those of you guy. that have iPhones, you know how that is. Fuck Android. Fuck What's that picture of? <laughs> Buster Olney. It's a picture of Buster Olney. With the Yankees beat reporter, oh, because yeah. I was going that route, too. Hold on, fans. Uh, he, he tweeted that, and I mean, I texted that at, like, 1230 at night. So that's why no one responded. <laughs> because I didn't think it went through. Uh, it said it on my phone that it didn't go through uh, because it's an Android chat. Oh, no, I got it. it I, just, I, I saw it the next it. morning. I, I got it when you extended for the uh, for the iPhone. For the iPhone group, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I, listen, I, I think, I think we, all, we all did a good job in using words that are, are, are validated with what's going on right now, right? Because uh, it, it is. It's nothing but pos- positive. It's very optimistic, as Dave, I think, said uh, in the chat room. Uh, it's it's got Birdland again buzzing, and a buzzing hasn't happened in a while yeah. when it comes to the Orioles, right? But you talked about the wave of talent, right? And 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 Elias coming in, and we're starting to kind of see what we have, like what the last three years have been, and we're starting to see those pieces come to fruition. Well, we got to add more. As good <laughs> as that is, right? We it's got an to embarrassment add, of riches at this right point. Right now it is, right? We got to add another wave of talent uh with the MLB draft that happened over the course of this last weekend. Uh and the Orioles were absolutely loaded with picks on day 1 of the draft. Four picks in the first two rounds of the yeah. draft or first 67 picks of the draft. Uh a real chance for them to add some serious serious talent and some more depth to this system. Some of these guys may never see the Major League Baseball field, may never see it as an Oriole, may end up being trade Elsewhere. pieces, whatever, yeah. uh, but this is all positive with the Orioles. Uh, and and, and it, was, it was great to see, especially, you know, the, 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 the abundance of draft picks, and we're going to get into the actual, some of the actual picks here uh, in a little bit, but I think the, the biggest thing that surrounded uh, this draft was who the hell is going to be first? And that's one thing the Orioles have done really well is staying close to the vest with who they're picking. Even a guy who is as well connected as Buster Olney and some of these other guys. Tim Kirchhoff. Tim like. Kirchhoff. None of them had any clue what direction the Orioles were going. Any time the national shows would come on and they had three or four people, 
each one of them picked somebody different because literally they just wanted to have that one person that was right because nobody <laughs> yeah. knew for sure which way they were going to go with this thing. And none of us knew for sure, right? We, I, I, we all had our hopes and we all had our guys that we thought we'd be happy with. Vegas didn't even know either. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and there were some really intense moments kind of leading up to the number one draft pick because, you know, I'm a betting guy. I think we all yeah. dabble a little bit in betting, right? So in the morning of draft day, the college bat, Brooks Lee, was actually the favorite to be selected. He was negative 400 Because in he the was morning. viewed as the most major league ready guy because I, he could, he had the college experience. He, like, well, that, and exactly. Stuff we talked about you know, the, the Orioles, I think, are a little bit ahead of schedule for not bring just up somebody, our perspective, yeah, bring up somebody but even that can have a quicker media. impact. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody that would make a bigger impact faster, right? Uh, so I think he was the, uh, the overall favorite early in the morning. Then by like 3 o'clock, Tamar Johnson ended up being the favorite, which is a guy Drew and I talked a lot about, a guy that we would have been happy with just based on his bat alone, regardless of like some of the shortcomings that he has defensively. His bat, when you talk about comparisons to Wade Boggs and Vladimir Guerrero Sr., right? You talk about some of the best bats in Major League Baseball history, yeah. right? So I like that, right? So I was perfectly fine with Tamar Johnson being the favorite. Uh, and then... Obviously, we all, and I think all the national pundits assumed Drew Jones was the best overall talent, the number one player in this draft, right? So, right. again, leading up to right before the Orioles actually made a selection, 30 seconds into it, I didn't know who it was, was going to be. <laughs> no. What I thought I saw, and I don't know if you guys picked up on this, is like right before the pick is announced, right before, uh, not Selig, um, What's his name? Manford. Manford. Manford walks out to announce the pick. You see Tamar Johnson get a phone call, and he stands up, and he walks away from his family. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. all right, it's Tamar Johnson, right? So in my head, I'm already wrapping my mind around, like, all right, we got the best hitter in this draft, da da da, da. And then he comes up and announces Jackson Holiday, And I said, what the fuck? Did he read the wrong card? What are we doing here, right? Like, I, I was convinced. I mean, that's just how little – was given out about that. Whereas, you know, the NFL is so much more predictable. You usually know typically at least the top three picks and which teams are going to and all that stuff. Uh, but this draft, man, you just had absolutely no idea who's going to be the consensus. Which was one. so interesting given the fact that, you know, and it's funny because I did, I had to go back and watch it after the fact, but I saw that in the clip. And then Tamar goes number four to, to Pittsburgh. Pirates, yeah. So now you're going... Well, who the fuck was calling? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because you have the Diamondbacks and the Rangers that didn't take him. Right. That to Rangers. turn around and have it. It's like, who was calling? Did Pittsburgh know that early? Or right. was it like the Orioles calling saying, hey, dude, nah. sorry. Right. <laughs> like, it, it's just, it's crazy to kind of think about that because that, that was something that was brought up. So I want to get everybody's instant reaction don't give me the analysis of the player yet we're going to get into that because there's a lot to cover with this kid but when you heard manfred's name say jackson holiday what was your instant Ooh. reaction i'll start with you a instant reaction for for me was pedigree yep with his father's seven-time all-star yeah. i like this guy has pedigree he wouldn't have been in the top he was he was in the top right i was happy with any of these guys Absolutely. so for me it came down it came down to pedigree and I also, because he's younger, any of these younger guys, I was sitting there thinking, 
This is a long-term play. All right, James, what was your reaction? Uh, my reaction was, and of course you guys know, was I was like, it's a draft tonight? <laughs> yeah, he had no idea the draft was <laughs> even forgot. going on. I was like, what, what do you, can select early or something? <laughs> guys, guys, and this was like two hours after the pick. Yeah. I swear to God, like, <laughs> two hours after we had been talking about it in the chat hours. room as to who it was, yeah. and he missed out I was on trying that. to chat. The problem is we're in a damn Android chat. Uh, uh, Mine's uh, weren't going well, through. Once, but no, after, you, after you told me, because uh, you were talking, I was like, I had to look, I was like, and I go online, and I, like the Orioles like have it already up there. I'm like, what did they pick a twelve year old or something? <laughs> are we that? Are we that depth in, that we can pick a twelve year old and then be good in like six, seven years from now? But um, but also after this, they said like we we have the number one farm system now. Yeah, after mm-hmm. this, so absolutely. But your instant reaction was, ah, we drafted a twelve year old. Yeah, that I, was your instant I reaction. I wasn't excited about. I think we passed. He is very youthful looking. I'll give yeah. him that. He is. He is. <laughs> He'll look good, but know. he hits a ball like a man. Exactly. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Drew, what was your instant reaction? Uh, Yours, it was, it your was, instant reaction. It was literally like, Not the wife's. We got to talk about that in the after hours. Yeah, we will. We'll we will. In the after hours. Um, it was a like a what? Like a shock what? Like not an angry what? It was a shock what? Because like we'll say we'll, we'll get to his credentials from afterwards. But like it was just that because like me like we like said it to us it was to me it was Drew Jones or Tamar Johnson. Yeah. Uh, and that was the only thing I picked. And like you, like you've already said it too. It was like, you know, the the Brooks Lee thing. Granted, it's, it's Vegas is Vegas, but still, like, just the that was the one where I was like, I can't be Brooks Lee. Now's the time for a high school guy. It was like that was my thing. Like, so uh, happiness that it was a high school player, and then just like we'll get to it. But like instantly, like, all right, that's cool. Yeah, I like yeah. it. So again, mine, my, mine was just shocked because I yeah. convinced myself it was Steven, Tamar Johnson after seeing him walk away. Steven says shocked, didn't expect it. Yeah, exactly. But listen, let's 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 talk about it, right? And and why this makes sense and why this is the right pick yeah. for the Orioles, right? Because to to your point, we all said that like, listen, any of these top three or four guys that we've talked about, the Drew Jones, the Tamar Johnson, Jackson Holiday, we were going to be happy with all of them. Oh, like 100%. there wasn't one that was head and heels over the other. They, you know, even back when we drafted Adley Rutschman, there was that same conversation between Adley Rutschman and Bobby Witt Jr., mm-hmm. right? Was which way are they going to go? Both of these guys are going to be really good players. We all, you know, obviously us being catchers, <laughs> we wanted the catcher, right? Uh, and we also thought he was the best bat, and he was the most major league ready, ready. that he would be able to come up and go through the system. Well, and we also we also like his ability to call a game. We talked about that when even when he was right. in college. His ability to control his pitchers, it's translated. Yeah. I don't care what anybody, it has translated. Right. But this kid, Jackson Holiday, he's a shortstop, right? And again, I think a lot of fans get caught up on the fact that he's a shortstop, right? And that we're drafting all these middle infielders and we're drafting all these shortstops. But shortstops tend to be the most athletic players of the bunch, right? And it just doesn't mean that because they were drafted as a shortstop, that's where we're gonna end that's where they're gonna end up. Mm-hmm. Now this guy has the pedigree to be a everyday shortstop at the major league level if he continues yeah. his trend and where he's going. Uh, but I know some people were like, oh well we got all these guys in the minor league system, which we'll talk about later. I, I don't know if drafting a shortstop is right. Well, those guys have other options. Those guys Adam, have other positions they can move. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Adam Jones was a shortstop. Mike Trout was a shortstop, right? Some of the best players that played other positions were drafted as shortstop. Or catcher. So don't, <laughs> so don't, get, don't get too caught up on that. But what you do want to get caught up on, to James's point, right, he, he looks young, right? He looks 
very, uh, it didn't even have, like, he had any pu- puberty yet. Yeah. Doesn't have any facial hair or nothing, he right? never has a razor. But he's 6'3", six, <laughs> he's six, 185 pounds. Uh, the kid is only 18 years old. The 6'3 threw me off because every, like, picture that you see, he his his upper body, his torso, is smaller. Yeah, he's the opposite of me. <laughs> I have a long torso, shorter legs. He's the opposite. Yeah, of this that. this kid in his pictures, he doesn't. So it's, to a lot of people, to hear six three, you see a picture of him, you go, that kid's six three. And then sitting next to his father, Matt Holiday, who I think is he six, still looks like he could play today. Oh, he does. Oh, yeah, he is dude. absolutely. He jacked. is. He, I think he's six four. Yeah, yeah, he don't look retired. I, they could be the exact same. It's the fact that like he still looks like a, yeah. a ball player. Yeah, right. Right. he, he never. Like yeah, he never lost the, the structure, so to speak. But yeah, no, I mean this kid, he he's gonna weight wise, he's gonna fill out. He's probably gonna put on another one or two inches. This kid. Could wind up being six five, six five, six six by the time he gets to the major league level. Exactly. Uh, you know, you're talking when you're talking about this kid. You're talking size wise. At 18 years old, this is his size. Size wise, he could be not quite, but he could be comparable when he fills out a little bit more to a little bit thinner Aaron Judge. The, who's the guy for the Rockies? Aaron Judge is like 6'7". He's 6'7". But is, if this kid puts up on, on another two inches, it's 6'5", that's, even 6'4". That's a taller guy. Yeah. He's lanky, but he's got he's going to have the power. He already has the, the upper body. He's, if he's going to be anything like his dad, he's going to be yoked. If, right. When he if, gets his man body, he is going yeah. to be he, yoked. He, he, he's, if he played he's, football, he'd be listed as 6'11". Six, six <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but no, and, and he's coming out of an area that has had uh, in that Oklahoma area, the, or the Oklahoma some of the best talent, some of the best talent that we've seen. He committed to Oregon State at one point, right? So we've seen some talent come out of Oregon State. Adley Rutschman. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing here. We have to kind of take a step back and say this kid comes from a pedigree. He was recruited at a national level out of a top program. Yep. That's something that says that says something about this kid's talent. Mind you, listen to these numbers, right? This is a kid yeah, that hit a- as a senior, hit six eighty five, a six eighty five average, a seven forty nine on base percentage, a one point three nine two slugging percentage. <laughs> he had fifty two extra base hits, seventeen of which were home runs, seventy nine RBIs. And stole 30 bases. Mind you, the key stat here on the 30 stolen bases, he was 30 for 30. So this kid isn't just he's tall and he's going to be a powerful bat and he's going to be this big guy. He's also got a lot of speed. So when you talk about, like, those five-tool players, right, he is 100% one of those guys. And he did all of that in a 40-game season in high school. Right? Those stats are absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, yeah. And again, I think this kid just has all the intangibles. Obviously, he's got the pedigree. He's been around it since he was an infant. I saw a video of him when he was a little kid. He was three years old. And he's down in he's – I think he was at the All-Star game in, with, mm-hmm. with yeah, Matt. In Colorado. Yeah, yeah, and they're doing – three years old, right? And they're pitching him baseballs. And he is just wailing on these balls with like a very – very fundamentally sound swing <laughs> at three years old. Well, and that's what you, you heard. The if you did if you didn't watch the interviews, you got to go back and watch some of the interviews uh, uh, that they did with him, even pre-draft. And one of the things when he was when he was playing for for the team USA, one of the things that his dad said was like, "I remember 
when we owned the, the, the house in, or we were running a house in Denver right. and in the basement, I'm sitting there and throwing balls to him. Matt's father, remember Matt's father was, was a player too. Yeah. Right. And he, it's that pedigree line and his father, his, his Jackson's grandfather is the one that said he has a natural swing at three, four, five, six years old. And so he's sitting there watching it and he said he was in a slump at that time when he remembers it vividly. He's just throwing him balls and he's watching his son just naturally do the fundamental things. And that's what he he recognized. And it did pull him out of a slump. And I saw a 30 second video. I could see that in it. Oh, 100 percent. He just it's, it's unreal. This kid has been around it since he could walk. Uh, and he's just. He's going to be the total package, right? Yeah. Jim Callis on MLB Network, too, because I know a lot of people were asking, like, hey, why wasn't it Drew Jones? Was this like a money-trying, saving deal or whatever? They didn't cut a deal here to get him. Uh, they took one of the best players. He is the best combination of hitting ability and ceiling in this draft. He is a true five-tool shortstop. He got better in every phase of the game as a senior. I love this pick for the O's. And, and I, you, can't, you can't disagree with that at all. And I think the other thing to think about here, too, is this isn't like he had a great senior year. Right. Right? And that's why this kid has gotten better year after year after year after year, which kind of takes you, takes you back, right? This kid... They, they went and they some of the the pundits were kind of talking about saying, look, this kid has been under the radar since he was a freshman. Right. Hmm. When did we take Adley over Bobby Witt? <laughs> Do you nope. think we potentially saw this coming? I don't know. Because I mean, Harold, Harold Reynolds, Reynolds said it. Harold Reynolds is the one that said, if you didn't watch it, I watched this and I heard it live and I kind of shook my head and went, he's not wrong. Mm -hmm. He said that the Orioles just got Bobby Wicks, Bobby Witt Jr. out of Jackson Holiday. They got their Bobby Witt Jr. Yeah, without so getting Bobby Witt Jr. Debate of Bobby Witt or Adley Rutschman, according to Harold Reynolds, now they have them both. Right? Now you they have, have two top tier guys. Both, which is uh, pretty impressive, right? So. Obviously, you wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth uh, yeah. as far as Mike Elias and how this whole process he, kind of... He had a lot to say in this. I'm going to let you run through it all first, everything he had yeah. to say about, about Jackson and the pick, and then I think we can maybe take a minute or two just to kind of absorb that and give you our quick reflection on it's what Mike Elias had to say. One of the things that I really, uh, I really respect about Mike Elias is that he is pretty candid, right? And he, he tells you how it is, good, bad, or ugly. He doesn't really sugarcoat a whole lot. He's pretty transparent. No. Uh, he's not going to give you more information than you need to know, but he's pretty transparent on the stuff that he did. So uh, he said he was really proud and happy with the result that they got today. Couldn't be happier with the player in person we're getting. He's a five-tool shortstop, left-handed bat, which is critical, a left-handed bat hitting in the new confines of Camden Yards, which we'll talk a little bit about. That's another aspect of this, right? And we project him to remain at shortstop on defense. So they're very high. He's very high on him as a defender as well at shortstop. Uh, and he had one of the best swings in the draft, which we've already kind of talked about. Uh, again, a guy that hits 650 or 680 doesn't happen by accident. And again, in a place like Oklahoma, where there's a lot of high school talent, that speaks for itself, right? Uh, he also said on the dif difficulty of the decision, because we've already kind of talked about that. We, we said that there was a multitude of names, right? What did it come down to and how hard was it for you? Well, he said, I would liken it to deciding what to order at a five-star restaurant. And I can imagine, <laughs> not that I've eaten at a whole lot of five-star <laughs> restaurants in my life, but even at Denny's, I struggle with, I don't know what I'm going to get. Everything sounds so good, right? Hey, man, there were at least five good options on that top of the world restaurant. That's right. That's true. That's one of them for sure. 
Uh, so I can imagine how difficult of a decision this was, and there was a lot of truth to this is going to come down to a draft day decision. It wasn't something that they were sitting on for weeks, right? Uh, he also said Holiday was not a consideration for the number one overall pick in the winter, but he got physically stronger and better, and then his performance shot through the absolute roof. Uh, area scouts Ken Guthrie and Jim Richardson's were on it for the Orioles. Uh, so that goes to show you, right, like even a guy like, like this, right, who was probably projected to be a late first, early second pick after his junior year, that extra year of growth, that extra year of grind that this kid has put in, which yeah. he's done since he was a kid, improved his draft stock all the way up to the number one overall pick. Just goes to show what kind of work ethic this kid has as well. Uh, he said the upside for him is enormous. It's a potential star playing shortstop, batting in the middle of the order, doing so for a very long time. In some regard, I don't know that the ceiling gets much higher than somebody with that profile. Now, of course, Elias is going to try to sell you on why he went with this guy, but right. there's a lot of truth in that, and I, I really believe that this kid has that kind of talent. He's got potential. Time will tell, right? Um, he said he expects the signing part uh, to go smoothly here. Uh, said 99 uh, times out of 100, a signed high school player will report to spring training camp in Sarasota after that. So that's good. You yeah. know, people that were kind of worried about his signability and all that because he was committed to going to, uh, <laughs> to, to Oregon State. Uh, he said, I've seen high school picks move as fast or faster than college players. Excited to see him start moving through the minor leagues, and we'll take it from there. So everybody who's questioning, like, like we just talked about, right, was the college bat – the right decision here would, would have been the better decision here because the team's ready to compete and ready to compete now. So we want a guy that's going to be able to move through the system quickly. It doesn't sound like they're going to put floaties on this kid. It doesn't sound mm -mm. like they're going to slow the process for him. The process is going to be determined about how he performs. So like we're seeing with some of these guys, like even Heston Kirsten. The longer it takes you to get here, the lower your value is. Exactly. That. Right. So he's he's going, they're gonna they're gonna move him through the ranks. In, in how fast he progresses. They're not going to slow him down or put him on a pitch count or anything like that. They're going to let him grow through the system organically, and hopefully that's faster than some of us are expecting it to be. Yeah. Um, he also said, I think this organization is the healthiest spot it's been in a very long time and just got a lot healthier. This is a really nice night for, for us to have things going well at the major and minor league level and the scouting department at the same time all on the same night. So a, a few things to unpack here. So I'm going to start with that last statement. Um, from what I understand, and I have yet to be able to confirm this. I've seen it on Twitter, and nobody has confirmed, so I'd love to find like a verified source that could confirm it. Yeah. Within the Orioles organization, that this is the same scout that, that was on Adley Rutschman from day one. Mm. It's the same scout that's been on this kid from day one. He's the, the area scout mm. that's been going – we need to be paying attention here. And so if you get that kind of that kind of guy, I'm listening to a lot. I mean, there were 23 or 24 guys taken from Oklahoma, the Oklahoma area, whether that was Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Yeah, we took or, a few of them. Right, we took several of them, which yeah. which tells you that that pedigree down there as far as just across the board with talent, it's there. Right. It is there. The middle of the country, it kind of takes me back to, you know, the the, the old days and the, the one of our favorite movies. Right, going across and and finding the Midwest yeah. guys. Where is some of the top talent coming from right now? It ain't the it ain't always the West Coast. It ain't always the East Coast. Right now, 
a lot of the top talent that is coming up in MLB or in the minor league systems is coming from the Midwest. It's it's a turn back of the clock, so to speak, because that's what we're seeing. For a while, it moved to the coasts. It was the East Coast, it was Florida, the Dominican. Now you're seeing it shift back into the middle of the country. And guys like him, it really shows you there's a talent here. There's something going on. And the the when they when you have this many guys at this type of level, when you get a, get a kid like this can put up the numbers that he has with the talent that's around him, and that he's playing against, you you can't ignore it. You can't. Yeah, yeah I, listen, I'm excited about this kid. Um, I I think we all were a little enamored with Drew Jones uh, because. He was more in the spotlight, right? He's what you saw. He's what you heard about on social media. He's what you saw on YouTube. Like, he's a uh, he's also a very me guy. Like, he has his own YouTube channel that he self promotes himself. He did this whole video that was like an hour long. It was almost like an MTV Cribs video, but it was his mom's house. It was the weirdest thing ever. Uh, but you know, he's he's kind of a kids. Yeah, right. He's just kind of a me kids guy. Kids in their right? kids in their technology. I mean, te- I mean, listen, <laughs> talent wise, the kid is unreal, right? And anybody that's a son of Andrew Jones, who is you know one of the greatest center fielders of all time, I'm on board with it. Uh, I still went number two. <laughs> I just because of that, I don't think I paid as much attention to Jackson Holiday as I probably should have. I should have di- dove into him a little it's bit. Quiet. More. He was under the radar. He was, uh, but I like that about him, right? And his father was the same yeah. way. His yep. father was an underrated guy that was a very good player. Played for a lot of teams. I mean, he played for what? He played for Colorado. He played for St. Louis, the Oakland, the Yankees. I mean, he played for quite a few teams. But, you know, unless you're an avid follower of baseball, you probably didn't know a whole lot about yeah. Matt Holiday because he was that kind of a quiet guy. So, guys, we'll start with you, James. What is your your kind of quick take on Elias's comments and the taking the overall, other than your initial reaction, your overall thoughts on taking Jackson Holiday? I just hope it pans out. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, be honest, though. I mean, if you're negative about something, what is it? I'm not negative. I just... Wanted Drew. I wanted to at least have some some action player that was, if he's anything like his father was, like you would think that would be shoring up the center field and taking over for the be a leader on the team. But like I said, I'm I'm hope I'm completely wrong. I hope this guy comes up in five years and blows it out of the park. Dude. Okay, I kid's really quiet do. and well spoken. I like so it. I listen, listen. I don't like. I don't I'm, dislike. I'm just shell shocked, sort of. I got yeah. you. Know, like, I we, understand. We weren't all expecting this, and then you you drop this, and it's just like, okay, this is where it's going to be. All right. right, they have a plan. I like right. it, Drew. What was your take now that you've uh, had Look, a chance Elias, to digest it? Like you said it already, Elias never sugarcoats things. <laughs> when he says something, he don't he don't speak in circles. He don't try to make you like dumb it down for you. Nothing yeah. like that. If him and his scouts thought Jackson Holiday is, is the absolute best. I, I go with the track record. The track record these last few years has been really phenomenal. And it isn't just all oh, you get lucky getting Adley. Like, it is, you know, drafting Kowser, Gunner, and, you know, all the guys that we name. Mayo. You know, yeah, all the guys who can rattle off. Like, I've uh, walk with Elias. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Like, it's really fucks something up real badly. Maybe this could be it, to James's point. Maybe this could be it, but fans, like, you can't. It's They could both be freaking identical trajectories. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to be mad if Andrew Jones hits, like, 30 home runs in his second year and <laughs> – and Holiday hits twenty seven. Like it's a good problem yeah. to have it's at a the good top problem of the. To have. <laughs> right. And then also, I wanted to say also, I put it as I don't know maybe because we've been losing so much. Like this could be a potentially our last first round pick. One hundred percent for a while. So, Got to get it right. Yeah. yeah. 
So I hope, yeah. I hope, man. I get so it. I, I got to ask you, we, we talked about all the positives here yeah. with Jackson Holiday. Any negatives for you? I mean, I'm pulling at straws to find a negative, but if I'm going to find a negative, it's that his representation is Scott Boris. I fucking but cannot are you stand the guy. His father's agent was not, Scott Boris. I'm not surprised. Who isn't under Boris? I, and that's, that's my that's point. The problem at this point. And, and you know what? Like, I'm trying to spin it. I'm trying to spin it in a positive because <laughs> Scott Boris has never, and this is why I'm, I'm negative about it. Scott Boris has never had a good relation, a good working relationship yeah. with the Orioles historically, but. Scott Boris also hasn't worked with the Orioles under this regime, right? It's always been the previous regimes because we just haven't been in the market for any premium Elias talent or anything <laughs> since Elias came here. Yeah, right? he, he got he's Chris dealing with done. Right, but that was under Duke. <laughs> Elias and the Suns and the Suns are now running this team. Right. So or wow. the one son, I should say. <laughs> the one son. I, again, that's that's really that's, that's really my only negative, right? If it was Tamar Johnson, I could sit here and say, well, defensively, he's pretty much pigeonholed to a second base. But this kid can do it all. So the the only thing that I would say, which it, you know, you kind of alluded to it, the kid is a natural shortstop. Some people are kind of saying, well, I don't know that he has the full arm for third base. I, I don't know that I fully disagree with that from some of the defensive videos that I've seen, but I'm I'm also not a scout. I'm not, you know, I don't Jump do this. holiday? Yeah. Okay. No, I don't do this for a living. But one of the things that got me thinking about, right, if you're taking him at shortstop right now, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, you've got Gunnar Henderson, who was the guy that we were pinning for shortstop. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know Gunner has played third base. Does this solidify him moving to third base to you? I don't think it solidifies anything because these guys are going to be a couple years apart from each other. You know, Gunner is going to be here hopefully before the end of this year, uh, but definitely by the beginning of next year. So I think that two-year gap, if it's two years, if he moves through quickly, three years, if it's the normal trajectory of a high school prospect, uh, I don't think that that's going to matter much. And like I said, like you said, I alluded to it earlier. Having a bunch of shortstops, having a bunch of athletes is never a problem, right? No, no, no. There's a million places that you can fill these guys. And right now, to be honest with you, we are sitting on a bu- an abundance of goods, right? We do have tradable pieces. <laughs> it's going to hurt, I think, all of us here who are avid fans who like kind of we, like James always says, we fall in love with these players and we fall in love with the prospects, right? Because we just want to see success, success. <laughs> and we want to see these co- these guys come Homegrown. to fruition and, and come through the system and not have to pay for these guys and all that stuff. But there's going to come a time where there's just once you have your roster set and you have your depth set, you're going to have pieces left over that. Either Others you're going to have to trade to or you're just going to yeah. have to get rid of, right? So you're going to have to make some tough decisions on some of these guys. So, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. So that, like, so it sounds like you don't think it. I, I the one thing I would say is to me, Gunner is 21 and Holiday's 18. I think for me, you're, you know, you're talking three years. If we if we hit that three three, three year years mark, is the normal for right. a, for a high school. So, so guy let's that's let's on a good assume trajectory. he keeps that trajectory. Now you've got. The left side of your infield, if you move Gunner over, now they may not do it right away, but if you move Gunner over in the next year or so, mm-hmm. let him start taking some more consistent reps, or, or when he gets to the major league level, you, you move him over. Now you have two guys under the age of 25 shoring up the left side of your infield with solid bats, mm-hmm. good range, and good arms. 
And I seem to remember a move happening with a certain Manny Machado that led to platinum gloves at third base. I'm yeah. just saying, it yeah. doesn't mean that and just because a guy's moving I, from short to third, it's going to be a negative. That's, that's my point. I'm not saying that, that by no means am I saying that that is Gunnar Henderson. But my whole point is, is we, and, and you said it, we have an abundance of good, goods. When you look at the middle infield alone, yeah. right, and guys that can play the middle infield, we mentioned now you have Holiday. You have your top guy in the middle infield, which is Gunner at this point, mm -hmm. right? I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Right. But you still have Vavra, Westberg, Norby, Ortiz, and oh, by the way, the guy that seems to can play everywhere and was also in the whole thing of the the, uh, the having to go get him out of the defection of, of Cuba, Cuba in Cesar Prado. I mean, the, the abundance of riches here of guys that are high level guys. Mm -hmm. Young and gonna get up to the, the major league level probably pretty quickly in most cases, barring any injury. Yeah, we're talking about five, six guys. I'm sorry, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys that can play the middle infield. You have an abundance of riches, and I haven't even mentioned some of the guys that are they're looking at that were also in the draft that we also picked up as long term plays. There's a lot. We have to be understanding, to your point, and we're going to part ways with some of these guys at some point. And this is why you have to really appreciate what Mike Elias has done, right? Because a lot of draft picks, you're talking about a 20-round draft, right? <laughs> a lot of draft picks just never end up working out with most GMs, right? But a lot of these swings that Elias has taken – he's hitting on and all of these approaches that he's taken over the year going under slot to pay more later right to get better talent to come commit well this is this is what happens when that happens is you get premium talent and you have a cluster of players and this is how you end up with the number one minor league system in all yep. of baseball right it is a good problem to have it's very similar to what the Padres were doing a couple of years ago right because the Padres we're in a good position. They needed a couple of, you know, marquee players. They needed a couple of guys to put them over the top because their farm system was the best in baseball and they had a ton of prospects. So they started dealing some prospects to get guys like a Manny Machado and, and bring all these, these like, uh, was it Eric Ho uh, Hosmer? Bring those guys in because they felt like they were one or two pieces away from competing. The Orioles are in a very, very similar situation. Uh, so if you're not on board now, I don't know what's going so on. So you mentioned the whole underslot thing. I got to ask it. I'm going to ask you. Mm -hmm. Drew Jones signed. He signed with the Diamondbacks. Record deal for a high school player. $8.19 Yeah. That was the pick value. He signed for it. He got a $5.2 million bonus. Pick value for Jackson is 8.8. Mm -hmm. He's going to get every penny of it. I don't okay. think that there's... I don't think there's going to be a case where the Orioles are going to have to overpay on on the top overall pick. He's going to get eight point eight million. Uh, the wild card here is Scott Boris, right? So this <laughs> yeah. this is going to take some time to get done. You know, obviously, I don't know who represents Drew Jones. It's probably Scott Boris. No, it's, too, but, uh, no, it's uh, Boris has like the first three. 
I yeah, yeah, he's because he's got Holiday. Three. He's got Holiday Jones, and he's got Rocker because he's yeah. the, he's the uh, reason really? that Rocker didn't Rocker. sign. That was a whole Jesus. other thing. <laughs> on that pick, but uh, but no, yeah, I don't know if he's got Johnson. But I know it was those top three. Were Rocker got more. seven point five too. By the Did way, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. now nah, it, it's it'll get done, and it'll be full slot value because honestly, too, the, the other thing with this is the Orioles had the most money that they've ever had uh, going into this draft pool. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what they did even beyond Jackson in this draft, but they didn't take a whole lot of guys that they're going to have to overpay later. So it's going to be interesting to see how they divide this money out because it's got to be spent. Uh, So again, I think Jackson holiday is going to get his piece of that pie. Agreed. Well, shifting gears a little bit, moving into the the second pick. So we're going to really, we're going to dive mostly into the top four picks here. Uh, So we're going to do the next three. So our second pick number 33 overall, it was the, uh, the competitive balance pool pick uh, that we get. We were the first one in that pool Um, and they go outfield again here. Dylan Beavers out of Cal Beavers is 20 years old Um, this year in college. He batted 291 with 17 home runs, 16 uh, doubles, 50 RBIs, a 1.06 OPS in 56 games with Cal in 2022, and hit three hit a 303 average and 18 home runs in 2021. Consistent. This kid, and that is exactly where I was going with this, is this is one of the kids that you're looking consistency. When you can see consistency, that's moldable. That's mm-hmm. shapeable. It's teachable. When you get a guy that's up and down, like some of these top prospects can be at times, they become harder to teach. Yeah. Or they're they're swaying too much to one person or too much too much to the other. They're listening to too many people. Sometimes consistency is a sign of somebody that's teachable. That's what I took out of this pick. Yeah. I mean, this this kid, when you look at him, he's one of the lowest chase rates in all of college baseball. Hmm. He's got very good plate discipline. Kind of goes in line with what we've been talking about the Orioles as an organization doing and being patient at the plate. Yep. So it, he, you can, he's teachable. He does the things you already want him to do. He's another left-handed college hitting outfielder. 6'4", 204, raw rookie. Yep. He's got raw rookie. He's 20 years old, right? So this is a young college kid, right? Yeah. So he, he's only two years removed from high school, so... Uh, but the two years that he was in college, he went to a very, uh, very good baseball school and was very consistent. He was a good hitter. He hit right around 300 for his entire career. And, and this kid, this kid by MLB.com, he was ranked number 22 and Baseball America ranked him 26. So to get him at 33 is good, is really good. And it's good to see. So I, I like this pick. It adds outfield depth because I, the outfield is one of the spots where it's kind of like, OK, we know what we have at the major league level now. Diaz, we've talked about it. We haven't seen everything we wanted to see. But beyond that, the depth is not consistent, and it's not fully there throughout the, I'm the not, I'm not going to get too caught up on who we have in the system or not. I think this is a great pick. Uh, okay. I know a lot of the experts were trying to draw comparisons to Christian Yelich uh, out of, uh, out of, Yelich, yeah. Yelich out of uh, Milwaukee. And I guess if you put them side by side and watch the videotape, yeah, they look similar. I'm going to go back to the uh, memory bank on here, who he reminds me of. And I don't know a whole lot about this kid at all. Obviously, this is the first time I'd heard of him, and I just went and watched some video of him. Who he reminds me of based on his size, his power, his lankiness. Do you remember Richie Sexton? Oh, yeah. Back in the day yeah. for Cleveland? Yeah. That's who he reminds me he of. He to kill the Orioles. He did. <laughs> he did. He killed the Orioles. <laughs> That's why I remember him. <laughs> but he's he's got that same, same type of body build, and uh, it was another guy that was uh, you know very efficient at the plate and had a lot of power even being a lanky kid. So he's going to continue to grow, and if we get a Richie Sexton out of it, not a Christian Yelich, I think I'm happy with that still at, at, at the end of the day. 
Yeah. All right. So Drew, James, uh, any any takes on that uh, that second second pick for us? Yeah, that's cool with me. Like, I think it'll be kind of like a, I'm not saying like uh, comparing even, but like like a Cowser, the way they were both picked, that second pick where it was like, you know, uh, kind of get lucky, almost a steal, kind of. I like it. Yeah, uh, James, what do you think? Uh, well, to be honest, I'm. I don't get into all these picks after the first. I like to just watch them grow in the farm system, start hearing them name, and then going going back into history and see when they're selected and go from there. Because, like you said, with baseball, it can, you can have like a seventh rounder be better than a first rounder. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of hard. It's a lot going on that day. So I try not to get my brain going on. Right now I have a lot of things going on, so I really didn't get into <laughs> we, these. We know from Sunday night. <laughs> <laughs> but – um. But yeah, so this is this is stuff that I look when they start coming up, hearing the names, and seeing them. You know how they're up here by um, Aberdeen. We can go see them, and then they start rolling down through, and then coming up to the big league. So I'm excited, and uh, just can't wait to uh, to see next two years from now. Stay, stay tuned, Steve. We're gonna get into the Ravens a little later. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so with the third pick, 42nd overall, they end up going third base here. They go Max Wagner out of Clemson, another 20 year old. Was the number 66 prospect by MLB.com. Uh, most importantly here, he was the ACC Player of the Year in 2022. With a damn good line. And what's crazy is this kid wasn't even a starter going into the season. Like, he ended right. up working his way in. I don't know if it was due to injury, if it was due to somebody underperforming, but he was not in the opening day starting lineup for Clemson. So he worked his way into the lineup and then ends up being ACC Player of the Year. Hit 369, 496, and 852 slugging percentage. Had 27 home runs and a 1.348 OPS. That's power. And and that's, I think... ACC has some good talent in, in baseball, too. Yeah. Listen, we have a lot of pieces in the minor league system like we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. One of the things I think that this system does lack is just pure power. Uh, so I think that was a point of emphasis in this draft for the Orioles was they went after a lot of kids that have good power potential. And at 20 years old, he's just tapping into it. And again, this was his first full season. And it wasn't even a full season because he wasn't the starter. So... I like this pick a lot. I understand, like, he's he's got basically an average glove. Uh, he's got a decent arm. He's probably going to be either a corner infielder or a corner outfielder um, or maybe even a, a DH. But those kind of guys, you know, that you come around a, a 35, 45 home run kind of guy is what he projects to be at at the major league level when he gets there. I like the pick. And it means you're making contact, too, right? The 27 Absolutely. homers and the 369. You're making contact. You're making the contact count, but it's also you're doing something with the ball, which is good. Uh, the last one that we're going to kind of really dive into for a quick second is their fourth pick on the day, which was number 67 overall. They go another outfielder here. Yeah. And a guy out of Florida with a, a Florida name. Judd Fabian. <laughs> what I liked about this pick, this was a fuck you Red Sox pick because <laughs> the Red Sox drafted him last year, one pick before the Orioles because the Orioles actually really wanted this yeah. guy. Yeah, Elias has been high on this kid. Yeah, and, and the Red Sox picked him, and then he didn't end up signing with the Red Sox. Then the Orioles end up getting him a year later. Uh, but you can go through the stats. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the kid, he he bats 239, 414, a 598 slugging, a 1.013 OPS. It's not a splash pick by all means. He's a, he's a swing and miss type guy. He swings and misses a lot. But when he hits it. But when he hits it, 
It's gone. He Bye had 24 baseball. homers. Uh, the other thing here, 20% walk rate. Yeah. So he either, he's got a good batter's eye. It's just bat to ball contact isn't really good right now, but that can still develop. You, that's something that you can you can slowly teach a guy, right? Mm-hmm. It's this is not a guy that I'm expecting to jump and make leaps and bounds, but I, I I do expect him to kind of be patient. And again, some of these picks that we're seeing start to look at some of the things that the Orioles are talking about. Twenty percent walk rate when he does make contact, the, it, the ball pops off the bat. There's things that are there. They're going to work with him as long as he signs, which I think he will. They're going to work with him, and they're going to bring him I, to that next I level. I have a question. Good. If he was a second-round pick last year mm-hmm. and didn't sign, does anybody know why he didn't sign? Because now we, we draft him in the fourth round. Yeah. Yeah, so, so so no, he was Scott Scott Boris's agent or something. Like, he he was in the second round. He was in the second round again this year. He was our fourth pick. He was our fourth, yeah, but he was, he was in the second, second round. round. Uh, listen, uh, the, his agent sold him on going back to college and being a first round pick because his he's going to increase his average. He's going to work on these things to be better, and he basically was a lateral from yeah, last flat, year to this year. Flat so, movement. He just ended up going at the same slot. It happens, and it's a, a benefit to us because Elias, again, was high on this kid last year and saw potential, so the kid, I like it. The kid bet, bet on himself, and, and when you get some of these guys, it, it, not saying it happens always at the college level, but well, you know, some of these, but some of these college, some of these colleges kind of say, well, you're coming back here. I'm not going to put that much effort into you because you, you know, it didn't work out. Yeah. So it, it depends. We don't know the situation, but look. We got him. We got him around the same time he went last year. Elias has been high on him two years in a row. I'm not going to say I don't trust in Elias because I do. At this point, he hasn't shown me anything that, that tells me otherwise. So if Elias is high on him and is willing to take him to second round too, I'll take it. Let's go. I'm um, for it. So we don't have to run through all these no. names. We just wanted to highlight day one names. But overall in this draft, just to let you know with the remaining picks, we end up going two catchers. Two more, yeah. 11 uh, right-handed pitchers, <laughs> two outfielders, two shortstop, and one left-handed pitcher. Because I know a lot of people were like, man, all these picks, and we haven't picked any pitchers, and we need pitching depth, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, they ended up getting it. They just got it. Later in the draft in this year, uh, and they went after a lot. Uh, they went after a lot of analytic guys, you know, guys that have high spin rates, guys that you know are high strikeout to to walk guys. They went after the stat driven kids, uh, but a lot of time, you know, to to figure well, out where these guys are going. And play. you were talking. I mean, they take their first pitcher in with the third spot, and you were talking about this kid, Ryan McLean, Nolan McLean, or yeah. Nolan McLean. Sorry, Nolan McLean. So what's interesting about this kid is he's right-handed pitcher out of Oklahoma State. It's the first time in Michael Ayers, uh, Mike Elias's era to take a pitcher in the first four rounds. But let's look why. Why did you like this kid? He can also play third base. Exactly. So what I what this kid kind of reminds me of is Michael Givens, right? So if you remember, Michael Givens was drafted yeah, as a shortstop, yeah. right? He was a shortstop and a pitcher. He never – I don't even think he made it out of Bowie. Nah, he, as a shortstop, or might not even made it out no, of Aberdeen. I don't think he, I don't he, think he made it out of Delmarva. Yeah, yeah, he might not have made it out. He no, made, he was at he, he was at Aberdeen because I watched him at Aberdeen. Was Aberdeen. Was he was a pitcher of Bowie, and then uh, yeah, he was also thinking about walking away. And then he told him someone pulled him out, like maybe you should try pitching. Yeah, let's get you back because yeah. he had a hose, right? Yeah. You could see that. I, I remember watching him at Aberdeen throw over to first base. I'm like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> this kid's got an arm. They end up putting him on the mound. He ends up having a pretty decent career. I forget where he's – is he with the Cubs now? Yeah, Yeah, he's with the Cubs now, doing pretty good there. 
so that's what this kid reminds me of. And whenever you can add a piece like that that is good on both sides, man, that just gives you less probability of failure, right? If one yeah. doesn't work out, you can try them out on another, right? You get two shots with one kid. I like it. Yeah, I like it. The other thing here is throughout throughout the entire draft, they only take one left-handed arm. Uh, and the left-handed arm they take was uh, Jared Beck with the 13th round, number 377 overall out of St. Leo University. This is the kid that if you haven't seen it, this kid is seven foot Fucking tall. Ridiculous. Unreal. He can hit 95 on the gun. He struck out 105 batters in just 68 and a third innings for St. Leo this past season against 31 walks. St. Leo. <laughs> that is awesome to hear, right? But here's the kicker for this. Do you know, want to know where he's been playing? Where? The Savannah Bananas. Oh, Jesus. So here's was the he deal. Was he out there doing any of these stupid dances? I he, guess he was. Huh? He was. He was one. He was a feature on one of their videos. That hey, even the extra extra large. I was we say, need to I imagine this guy up. stands out a little bit. <laughs> seven had, foot tall. They had him pitching against the guy in stilts, so they could get him. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. But look, you know, we we laugh about the Savannah Bananas. We've joked about it. It's entertaining, right? They're talented. But there's people out there that are saying, "Oh, these guys are. They're just doing." Here's the deal: the Savannah Bananas this year. This week alone had seven guys get drafted and three more signed to MLB clubs. There's talent there. There's I've, 10 guys coming out of that. I know a lot of people get all caught up on the Savannah Bananas just being an entertainment value, and there is that. Obviously, they want to sell tickets, right, because they need to make money and, and keep butts in the stands, but there's definitely talent there. And, well, and here's the thing. It's not just this one-off. This, this team last year had had one current and seven former players drafted. So the whole point about that, I love it. I love this kid. You know, they, they kind of said, all right, let's let let's keep you going. And that's the thing about you this. You know, the major leagues has never seen a seven-foot pitcher. I he think, would be the first. I think Randy Johnson might have been like, what? Johnson was 6'11". 6'10 six, or 6'11". There's, there's three guys, I think, the that have been 6'11". like a tall guy, too. Hendrickson was really tall. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Henderson was really tall. Henderson actually was a years. basketball player, I think, but he, yeah, he yeah. might have been six nine or six yes. ten. Yeah, he was six. There's only like two, two or three guys that have ever that are the tallest that are six eleven to make it to the majors. He's make, so uh, Judge looks small. If he can come yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yankees got Yankees got another Judge in the wings <laughs> yeah, of this draft yeah, too, man. It's like fucking a spitting image of him. It's well, insane. all right, so. Obviously, the draft, it was capped off the week, it, it, you know, from last week and capped off the, the, the happy high that we've been on for this 500 season so far. But we can't not talk about the All-Star Game and the Home Run Dirty Derby. We're going to start with the game since we actually had a representative from the Orioles okay. in the game. Yeah. Uh, so just I kinda, mean, it was brief, but yeah. yeah it, well, it was very brief. The <laughs> we AL, had like three pitches. Yeah, the AL wins three to two through nine. But Jorge Lopez comes Come in. Yeah, you know, listen, I don't care. He made an appearance. It wasn't a Cito Gaston situation where they didn't end up putting in Mike Messina, which I would have been absolutely pissed if they didn't put Jorge Lopez yes. in. You know, everybody was like, well, why didn't they let him finish the inning? Because they got to get everybody in. They're, trying, yeah. like, they're just trying to get everybody They're only playing shine. nine innings now, by the way. Exactly. We're going to talk right? about that later. <laughs> so it was good to see the kid get a shot, and, and he came out there. He threw a couple pitches. He was effective, got his two outs, and he came out. I mean, I, And it wasn't like they were bad. He, he went up and gets two pitches against Schwarber. He gets a ground out to short, and then Jay Cronworth grounds out to second. He got two. He did exactly what Jorge Lopez does and gets two ground balls, ground ball outs. Uh, they take him out. Dusty Baker takes him out. 
Gregory Soto comes in. I thought it was funny because the next guy, he, walk. walk, yeah. he, he walks in half. Right. Uh, but look, it, it, overall, great to see him and, and be out there against some all-stars, right? Yeah. He, he deserved to be in that, that talk, and it was really good to see his – he was – when Dusty came out, he was like happy. He was on. He's like three pitches. Right. I'm fine. I'd be fine with that in a regular game. The All Star game, I'll take it too. I, you know, for Jorge, I don't think anything. I don't think he was upset with anything. Nah. Just the the entire journey that he's been through, not only him but his entire family, to go from what he was and not even sure if he was going to last in the major leagues to being an All Star now. It's credit to him, but it's also credit to the Orioles organization, the development, uh, them not giving up on him as, you know, because he, he was terrible as a starting pitcher. He was not very good. Yeah. Uh, but them seeing what he had in talent, in arm talent, giving him another shot as a as a bullpen guy, and then finding a niche as a closer. He's done really, really yeah, well. Yeah, it, it has worked out for him. It's been great to see. I did want to, to add and open this up just when it comes to – there was a lot of storylines, a lot of things to talk about this, to talk about in this All-Star game. But I want to open it up, and Fred, we'll start with you. What was like a storyline that you can give us your quick take on that's really stood out to you in, in this in this game, or we'll say the we'll say game day, keeping the derby out of it, you know, keeping the the Soto contract thing out of it. Storyline that that caught your attention that you liked from the weekend or just the game? From just the, just the, the game day, we'll say game day. Anything that happened on game day. Hmm. I just, there is. There's a lot of storylines that you could pull from in this game. Um, man, I guess if, 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 it's, if I'm going to pull it one just from the game side, because overall it was it was the Albert Pujols and the Miguel Cabrera thing, because I thought that was huge, uh, especially in the, in the home run derby part of it, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But just from the game, uh, I think they finally got it right, you know, with the Clayton Kershaw going home, you know, with, with LA getting the start, you know, it would, it would have been cool for him to pitch there either way, but, you know, coming off of a start where he was real close to throwing a perfect game, he's been incredible this year. And to get a start in his home stadium like that for the first time that the game's been in LA in 40 something years, um, it's just kind of a special moment, yeah. and you could see that because uh, is everything around Clayton Kershaw. It was pitching in the game, taking in the vibes, then, then letting the him moment, run out there by himself at exactly. First. And then the moment after the game that he had with a kid. Uh, that if you haven't seen this yet, uh, look on Twitter. You're going to make me start crying, it. motherfucker. It, it, it was sad, man. It was um, so guy. the guy, the, a kid, was at a press conference with uh, Clayton Kershaw. And put the, hey, put the camera on Fred for a second. As, Clay, as Clayton Kershaw is getting ready to walk away, the kid stops him and uh, tells a story about how his grandfather was his biggest fan um, and had this kind of bucket list uh, of things that he had he wanted to do before he ended up eventually passed away. And one of those things was to meet Clayton Kershaw. Well, obviously, he never got a chance to do that. Passed away from uh, brain cancer, by the way. Right. And, and so the kid thought it meant something not only to him but to honor his grandfather's legacy to to be there and to talk to him and to meet him and Clayton Turk took the time to walk around hug the kid took a picture you know with his family and everything listen to the story and you could see how grateful Clayton was uh for that moment and how kind of special it was it's just a, a cap to the overall night again I think yeah. that would be the uh the one takeaway it was is touching. I don't even have a kid, <laughs> but it was a, it was a touching moment. All right. Well, uh, we'll throw it to James. James, anything from what from the All Star game? What storyline from the All Star game did you did you kind of most like or, or or were you most excited about? I was hoping that it was, you get your tissue. 
No, I don't need a tissue. I was hoping that we went to the tide at the ninth that they can do a, a home run. Okay. A, a derby so explain ball. to everybody what the rule what what rule came out that morning. I was hoping somebody would go with this. Uh, the rule is if it, the the game is tied after the the ninth, they would just go into like a hit off, a home run derby ish type of uh, like a swing off or whatever. So yeah. I was hoping we get there. Uh, didn't. I didn't get uh, Poppy's uh, money pick. I picked uh, six home runs, so I wasn't even close. So, yeah, I don't think I think everybody <laughs> took the over on home runs on that. It didn't work yeah. out. <laughs> All right, Drew. What uh, what what was the uh, the moment for you? That was your quick take that, that uh, you took away from this game <laughs> and this day. Uh, now. Uh, the mic'd up part, like the the, the players being mic'd up. Yeah, I was going to see how shit Stole yours. Goddamn <laughs> yeah, right. He did. Oh, get um, the tissues out for yours then. Get the, uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool because that's one of those things where, like, uh, you can hear stuff like casual fans already talked about that anyway. So, like, that's that kind of thing. Like, I mean, I don't foresee them really doing that necessarily, like, every ball, uh, ball game doing that. I mean, especially with, like, an oral game that wouldn't be in the spotlight so massive. Yeah, you get stuff like that. But doing it every year now for the for the All Star game, maybe even start micing up the Derby guys, even you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But even then, like some of these games that like a lot of poo poo people poo poo on like the uh, the Peacock games because not everyone has Peacock or Amazon. But maybe if like one you know one or two games a month that are on those broadcast channels has has situations where they're mic'd up players because it was just cool to like players were you know or more relaxed the All Star game. Granted, but like. Guys show their personality. Like yeah. it's just it's like you, you you learn more about these guys. You, you just everything in general. You can just yeah. wrap it all up. Like that's the cool little things that like you can get other fans like that aren't diehards hooked on. So let's yeah. talk about this for a minute because I think it's an interesting point. I think yeah, I was gonna go off on it either way. So yes, I, I think I think to your point, right? <laughs> the the mic'd up thing is really cool. It is, and, and listening to these guys, it, it's like that pay per view access that we've been talking about that MLB could do, right? That would be really really cool. You want to spice but it up the game, bring more fans around. Here's the thing: you got to be a realist, right? Like it, it's only viable in games that absolutely don't matter because technology is too easy to tap into. You want to talk about cheating and all that stuff. The other variable here is, too, that I was thinking about, and I only thought about this because I had money on the line. So there is that aspect of it, too, right, where you have people that are betting money, sports betting on things like that, that it would draw an absolute outrage that if you've got somebody talking into somebody else's ear, a broadcaster talking to somebody else's ear or whatever at the time, in either influencing <laughs> or like he makes a comment as he's getting ready to go into his windup and it affects a pitch or whatever. There's all these things and there's all these excuses that you could give as to why a pitch went down the middle instead of it being low and in because he was distracted by an earpiece. That's the only other element of it. So I just don't think that this will ever happen on a broader scale than something like this, like an all-star event, but they absolutely need to keep it for the all-star game. And I think they could include it even more in the home run derby. I, I, I agree. I think the, the thing for me, I, I, I loved the, you know, the situation where you had Stanton and judge, appreciate it, Steve Stanton and judge mic'd up at the same time. Right, because you're hearing the communication. These yeah. two guys don't get to talk. They on the just field. kept going to those two <laughs> all fucking night, man. Hey, look, it, it, it kept working. You see the two of them; they're able to communicate. They were talking about how normally when they're in the outfield, they're playing rock, Stand paper, scissors, fake teeth. They're they're like joking around, but they're Jim, they're Jimmy. miming each other. These are situations where these guys don't. When they're in the field like this, yeah. 
They don't get to talk to each other like this. And it got me thinking, like, when it comes to communication on the field, we've seen the development this year moving to the pitch comm system. Mm -hmm. The catcher could still have the button thing, but why couldn't the catcher also have an earpiece and the pitcher have a receiver just like we watch Nestor Cortez do with Trevino and go, I want to go fastball up and Yeah, like, what are you thinking here? Right? Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, you. why can't that be a communication? You don't need to necessarily, if, if the, the catcher wants to be mic'd up and sit there, what do you want? Like, what, then, then that's fine. But I, I love that. Why can't they communicate to each other? I, I get that you can do that, but let the guys in the outfield, there, there's, something that's, there's something there, right? Yeah. There already, you could already mic it up. There could, you could have the after piece be these guys mic'd up and then releasing and saying, hey, we're throwing together a video. Right. And here's a video of these guys being mic'd up. We've seen that before in some games, but why not make it that extra thing? And it just it, it's really cool. I, I love right. having now these guys mic'd up. Now that he stole your moment, he what's your backup moment. moment? What's your 1B? So my, my 1B, <laughs> my backup moment here, I, I've got to go with – I, the whole first series and first at bat, Clayton Kershaw on the mound, Shohei, he's had Shohei's number. Mm-hmm. And first thing that they they say when when he goes to Otani is, first pitch, first swing, swing yep. first hit. What does he do? He does that. And then he proceeds to get picked off by Clayton Kershaw. That was funny. <laughs> and it was hilarious because Clayton Kershaw was laughing. Yeah. He was so laughing about this. And it's it's those type of situations that it's just like, okay, that's baseball. Like, Shohei wasn't going anywhere. His no, gloves were in his back fooled. pocket. He was just hanging out. He was like, oh, shit, this guy's actually picking me off. <laughs> well, he, he, he literally, he saw that Clayton was was starting his motion so he took he took a lane mm-hmm. and Clayton just went bang and yep. got him it's and funny. so it's two top names in the game that don't they, they get to play each other but it's not a division rival or anything it's both there in California so you've got the the home fans going crazy half of them are cheering half of them are billing like you get that dichotomy yeah. which I thought was just really interesting really cool to see between two a guy that's well-respected, Cy Young winner, winning pitcher, going against the guy that that we're saying is probably, you know, if he continues on the path that he was on last year, that somewhat of the path that he's been on this year, we're Paul, we're talking about the greatest double-sided player to ever play the game next to Babe Ruth. Yeah, I think that's without question. <laughs> right. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like the dichotomy of that situation yeah. is just pretty cool to me. So if I, that's, that's know, my backup moment, but I got to say that, that that's I thought it was pretty. Another pretty thing funny. I I learned about this game was uh, I don't hate every Yankee. I ended up really by the end of this game, I ended up really liking Trevino I, I, because I just I liked his appreciation for the game, his appreciation for the moment. His, oh, you mean like, when he got to the plate was like. I can't believe I'm in the All-Star game. Like, this is how fucking cool is this? That's the exact thought I would have if I were in that situation. Like, holy shit, I am in a fucking All-Star game. And you saw that. It was real life for these guys. They're not robots. They're human beings, right? And then him. That would have happened whether he was mic'd up or not. Exactly. And then him congratulating guys as they come up, knowing who these these players were, knowing it was their first All-Star appearance. Again, it was just something I I grew more of a respect for this kid because I didn't know a whole lot about him. Uh, and you know me, I, I can't stand my Yankees, but uh, this is a guy that a lot I, of respect I have a for a catcher. Respect. Yeah, a lot of respect <laughs> for a catcher, of course. Uh, oh, but then, man. you know, one of the uh, the other moments in this game that kind of 
it kind of threw me off guard uh, because I had no idea, and I don't think any no of us did. knew, uh, was the stand-up to cancer moment. And, you know, they're, they're panning. This, this, obviously, I, I lost my father due to cancer, so this always gets me a little bit. And you know, they're panning through, and I'm always reading, you know, mom and dad and this guy and that girl and this thing. And they get to Manny, and uh, Manny has three names, and at the top of that list is Wayne Kirby. I'm like, wait a minute. I had no idea Wayne Kirby had or has cancer. And then they keep panning, and Pete Alonso has Wayne Kirby, who's current first base coach exactly. for the Mets. Uh, but then his daughter later uh, on Twitter confirmed. Credit to Drew for sending this to us, too. Yeah, his, his daughter later confirmed on Twitter that uh, it's a special moment at the All-Star Game. Today, my dad had surgery to remove cancer that they found just before the season began. Tonight, some of baseball best honored him, including Manny Machado and Pete Alonso. Uh, so just confirming that that he did, did or does have cancer. I guess I don't know if it's in remission and all that, how far along it is, that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, and uh, well wishes to to Wayne Kirby. Always loved Wayne Kirby. The the banter that him and fucking Adam Jones always <laughs> yeah. had, you know, oh, back and forth. And I all, loved the, all the videos they did when he was here in Baltimore of him with the food, like yeah. he always made me hungry every time they would be on something. That, yeah. And different stations would have yeah. him on. So. It's funny because it was uh, a few days prior to the to the All Star Game. The Mets were on national TV. I don't remember who they were playing. I was watching the game. And I saw Wayne Kirby over there on first base. I said, man, that belly's even gotten bigger than it was before. And I, and I was just thinking, I'm like, man, I miss Wayne Kirby. And then to have that news come out at the All-Star break yeah. just kind of caught me off guard. Go ahead, James. I thought maybe Drew was going to pick his uh, P. Alonzo creepiness uh, for his uh, highlight. <laughs> Dude, well, that, that, that was serious. in the Derby, so we're getting ready to get into that. Alien. Uh, one last thing, just real quick. We'll yeah, yeah. well on it. Uh, a guy, someone in this room. I don't. Not that I like the guy in any way, shape, or form. But the guy in the room, uh, or the guy? A, a guy in this. Someone in this room said this guy shouldn't even be starting for the All Star team. Goes out and wins the MVP. That's a little bit funny. And Mike's oh, Giancarlo Stanton. A little bit funny. Yeah. I don't think he should have been a starter. But well, hey, he got the there, MVP. There, hey. were, there were a lot of guys, when you looked at the statistics in this game, there are a lot of guys in this All Star game that shouldn't well, have been in the All Star game. Well, here's the thing uh, Ken Rosenthal made the statement that you have there was 80 plus guys named to this all-star team there's 800 and i think it's 850 players in mlb so 10 percent. 10 percent. he's like why don't we just give a participation trophy to everybody he, he tweeted that out because it was literally like <laughs> i mean he's kind of right <laughs> right like if you're going to give to one out of every 10 players I mean, it's two players on every team, but then why don't we just why don't we just say okay, there's two players from every team then? Yeah, like it, it comes into that whole thing of like every team has to have a participant. Well, I think it's that not that even needs that. To go out the it's window. not even that though. It's the fan popularity. No, no, no. fucking I, I know, but I'm saying it's, it. it's multiple facets. It's not just that. It's that on top of every team has to have a representative when not every team deserves a representative in it. Uh, there's a lot of things they could do to cut down on that and make it actual all-stars. I, yeah, I think. Good, James. Or just for fun, they can play two all-star games. Have, have two all-star games. Two. Have one on the East Coast and have one on the West Coast. You know how like Monday Night Football when they yeah. start the season, they put one early and then they have the evening one. Just to spread it out where... They could. I, I see the I, only thing with that is, though, you got to take into ratings, and this was the worst-rated All-Star game in history as far as, like, TV viewership. It's just declined year no, over year. Now, here's the thing. Have, it's still the most popular of all the professional sports 
all-star games. Like it's it's mm-hmm. more popular than the NFL. It's more popular than the NBA. All of that. But the ratings have gone down. You split it into two games. I, I like the idea. No, I'm just saying, like, just do it like that because it's uh, people can't stand the fucking commissioner for for baseball. But what you can decide is whoever wins the the game, you can do where like home field advantage or whatever. But you can also have your one A and two A where fans selected some players can go here and then some over there, and then you put like people who get voted in by real players. So. Mm. Uh, to, to James's point, so Great here's what here's here's while here's where I'll equate it to. To me, is the NFL, right? The NFL has the Pro Bowl, and they've got all pro. There needs to be more of a of a emphasis on like all pro baseball. Like here's our all pro team this year. The All Stars is 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 such a popularity contest. And that's the problem. It's money driven, it's ratings driven, right? So mm-hmm. when you take the fan vote away or you make it not as impactful, then like teams like the Yankees don't get as many guys in. Teams like the, you know, the Dodgers don't get as many guys in. So those big fan bases aren't watching as much because they don't have half their fucking team on the All-Star on the All-Star roster. So it affects dollars, it affects ratings, it affects all those things. So I understand from a business perspective why MLB. It's us as purist baseball fans and us Growing up as kids, right? When we grew up as kids, it wasn't a popularity contest. The people at rec, like rec baseball, the kids that made the all-star team were the all-stars of their teams. I mean, yeah, you had the coach's father, you know, the, the, the coach was the father the of the kids. Kid, Sometimes yeah. that happened. But, yeah, I mean, most of the time it was the best players on the teams but, that made it. But not yeah. to just get off the topic, but maybe even if we had two, you have the pros, like – the the league votes on these players that go. Yeah. But the second one, maybe you just throw out there, you have some of the um, voters that the fans vote in, but also maybe you just bring up the top prospects from the minors from like 4A. I mean, well, 3A. Well, that's kind of what they do with the Futures game. 3A and just bring them up to the All-Star game and let them get introduced to the world like that. I mean, yeah, there's different ways that they could do it. That's for sure. Yeah, you, could, you could yeah. handle it. You could handle it a few different ways. But yeah, well, let's it's, talk it's about the most important event of All Star <laughs> Weekend, which is, in my the opinion, biggest draw. <laughs> it is the single best All Star event of all sports. And it's all star skills event, especially yeah, it, event, because it's yeah. better than the games. It's better than anything. And that's the home run derby contest. And obviously the home run derby contest over the years has developed. It's changed. uh, And it's gone to this format now where it's basically grip it and rip it. You've got three minutes to hit as many home runs as you can. None of this outs bullshit. None of these people like making selective pitching. You better have a guy that can throw you the ball over the middle of the plate and swing as many times as you can. And, uh, man, it, it didn't disappoint this year. It didn't disappoint. I, I know that we've talked about it each year, and you kind of alluded to it. The only thing that I would change, the only thing I would change is I hate the head-to-head thing. You mean the, the seating, the bracketing? Correct, because you can have situations where you have two, you have two guys that hit 15 and 16. So the guy that hit 16 – is done and he he's wins. done. He wins. Yeah. He saves himself. I agree. And then you have two. You have four guy, four other guys that all hit over twenty home runs, but only only two of them are going because right. they matched up each other, against each other. I'd like to see it go back to the 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 top four guys. And if they come, if they all come out of the I, National League, they all come out of the National League. If one guy is not a home run leader, like I get the seating for the home runs of like okay, you're so seated one through six. Here's the thing. I I agree with that, and and I hundred percent agree with it. 
But the way I would do it personally is I wouldn't have seating in the first round. You'd have eight guys hit as many home runs as they can within three minutes. Then, based off of that, you're down to four, and then you seed those four. So the second round is based on head-to-head simulation. Then you go to the championship, and it's head-to-head. That's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, That's I how like I that. would do it. Uh, the only thing I could, I could not even refute strongly, but like before you had this new way of doing home run derby, think back to like when Josh Hamilton was fucking lighting up. I was up just talking nice to him about this York. prior. Yep. He didn't win the fucking thing, and it wasn't seated then either. I mean, granted, like I said, it was different. There was no time. It wasn't hit as many as you could have. Hey, he also, he also got through that derby with less than three outs hitting how many home runs in a row? But that's what I'm saying. Like he still didn't win. So to your point, like not even not, not being seated, he still. But didn't there was win arguments back then that he he did have the most home runs in that derby, yeah. but didn't win because it was cumulative. So there's people that argue it should be cumulative. It should be you know you you go and you're you're playing by, for for your seed, whatever it may be. But my my whole point is is I, I hate the situation where you get a guy that hits 15 and 16, you hit four guys that hit over 20, but two the two guys that hit over 20 that did better than the two guys that only hit 15 and 16 aren't moving on simply because they drew the short straw of the seeding with who they went against with like because of their, their regular season home runs. Yeah. So if you're trying to make it this big thing, then make it the four guys that hit the most home runs in there. Right. Like it, it just, it, it baffles me. I just don't get I it. I mean, but. this year uh, to Stephanie's point, right this year, we didn't see it as much where guys were done. We saw it a couple times where guys didn't take the extra bonus time because they didn't need it and they won their round. Uh, but it wasn't as prevalent this year. Um, it, to Goog's point, I think the bigger thing and the bigger issue with this, and I thought it was just me, but the math on home runs was off in this pretty bad. There were a few missed home runs that never got accounted for. Yeah, Schwarber actually beat Pujols in regular. Exactly. Yeah. I thought so, too. And I'm like, because I jumped off my seat. I'm like, there it is. There he were beat some him. that I'm going, oh, was, that went out. That's counted. And then it didn't count. And then there's some that they're right. like, tally that up. And I'm like, it didn't go over. What are and you the, talking about? And the camera changes between swing and watching it go was bad. Like, there were, there were definitely things that Major League Baseball needed to do to clean it up. But the overall event, the spectacular, uh, you know, the spectacularness of what it is, uh, I really appreciate. Uh, I do think that, uh, oh, God, Christ, I can't come up with his name right now. The Met guy, what's his name? Oh, Peter Londo. Peter Londo is a little bit of a fucking douchebag, man. He's a freaking alien. He is. He, listen, he takes it seriously, and I get it. It's like he's probably never going to win an MVP award, or he's never going to win anything, like, prestigious in baseball other than making, like, a home run derby champion, right? So this is his thing. and and he's done twice. He is built to be a home run hitter, but, man, the whole meditating in the locker room and all that stuff before he's going out, I'm like, what the fuck is happening with this guy? Uh, but either way, hey, listen. Not, not to cut you off. No, even you're... after the after, like, I don't know if it was today's quote or if it was from yesterday. I saw it today. He had a quote there, like you would have thought he just lost the World Series. Like, I know, he that's what I'm saying. Bowl. Like, takes dude, it way you too lost serious. The thing that, like you just won two million dollars off last year. Like it's you know what I mean. Like right. that's that added, added weirdness. The, the only the only thing that that kind of goes to it, it's to my point of what I was saying is when you look at the home run derby, especially in that second round, we saw it a little bit in the first round because you have uh, Seager who didn't make it, who hit twenty four, who had the third most, but he he didn't. He I'm sorry, second most. He had the second most home runs in that first round, and he didn't get in because he went against Rodriguez, who right. hit thirty two. He hit twenty four, so he doesn't get in. Then in round two. Soto has 16 over Pujols is 15, 
and Alonzo hits 23 and doesn't get to go against Rodriguez, who hit 31. Right. So it kind of goes to my point. Like, no, it, I'm saying it, 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 it just wasn't as prevalent yeah, like as I've seen in though. the past. Yes. Last year, there yeah. was a lot of but, that. And that's where I thought that that rule needed to be changed. But we had we to talk. We mentioned it. Pull holes. He does put up 20 in that first round, beating Schwarger. So, it, like, it, it, that was my takeaway from the entire weekend. Like, I thought the commissioner thing with the rule change and bringing in the the legacy picks and having Pujols and Cabrera be a part of it uh, was a really cool gesture. Mm -hmm. um, and to see Pujols compete in this home run derby, I thought, oh man, what are you doing? It should you're, be a life. It should be the lifetime impact nod. Yeah, but you know, it, the home run derby specifically. I'm thinking, you're 42 years old. This is rapid fire. He's going to be the quickest one 47. gone. Like he won grew for a little bit in that first round. Yeah, he did, man, and, and it was impressive. I expected, I'm like, I don't think he's going to hit 10. I think he's going to be somewhere in that, like, 7 to 9 range, and then, you know, he ended up hitting, what, is it 20 total in round <laughs> 1 or whatever? Tired. It was uh <laughs> It was it was really impressive, and to see him advance to the second round and then get close to advancing to the next round yeah. uh, was pretty crazy. Uh, but either way, it was a, it was a cool moment to see him, and then to watch all of the players, you know, give him that send off. Oh and, yeah, and the well, they, they and all the thought it was done in the first round because they went over to the first round. Like, <laughs> yeah, again, you know, and I think somebody interviewed. I don't remember who it was, but they talked about like. His impact uh, on baseball as a whole. Yeah. And you think through, you know, because he's been around for a long time. He was through, like, the steroid era, the, the the very end of the steroid era. And he, so far from what we all know and what we've all heard through testing and all that stuff, has never tested positive for anything like that. Um, and he's just been he's, – he's done a lot – not just on the field, but off the field with baseball and, and all the charity community work that representing he does and the, the community game. he does, both in Seattle or uh, I'm sorry, in St. Louis and in Los Angeles. Uh, it's just he's, he's an incredible guy. He's an incredible person. And I think this game is sorely going to miss him. Yeah, I think him and Miggy, that whole story with the two of them, yeah. to your point, it, it was it was good to see both of them done a lot on and off the field. Um, I, I think the other thing that, that we got to talk about, can we talk about Julio Rodriguez for a minute? Listen, when we were making our picks, so for you guys out there, we we did a you know a, a group text message and saying, "Hey, give me your pick as to who your Posted home run derby should be." <laughs> and this isn't me like trying to jump on the train later. I had thought my wild card was Rodriguez, and the only reason I say that was because watching him uh, the couple of times when he was here, right? Mm -hmm. He just has a very good, powerful, very fundamental swing uh, that I thought he could hit a lot of home runs, but I thought the only reason I didn't pick him was I thought the moment was going to be too big. Yeah. I thought, you know, this he's a rookie. This is his first, you know. First derby. Yeah, he's, he's in front of everybody. You know, there's national TV, but then there's national <laughs> TV, right? This is national TV and a guy that plays in Seattle, right? Uh I thought the moment would be a little bit too big for him, but it was. Nah, 81 total, takes out Seager 32 to 24 in the first round, then cripples Alonzo 31 to 23. Uh, and, and I loved I loved it. I think it was in the, in the first round when he really got on a tear. When they panned to Griffey, man. Yeah. Whew, yeah. I got chills because it was like, not that I'm comparing him to Griffey, but in Seattle, there's been a lot of like, this kid gives them. Griffey vibes at times at the plate right? because he does have a sweet swing. He does have this uncanny power. He's a very good outfielder. And he's a very good outfielder. So to see all that, it was crazy. But the telecast kept giving credit. And I was sitting there watching it going, to see, like thinking the same thing. And then they said it. And I was like, oh. So his pitcher for that, Framley Pena, 
who's a family friend. They run, his family runs a baseball academy down in the Dominican Republic who had been working with, with Julio and got his confidence up to be the player that he is now. Yeah. But you watched him pitch, and they said it. He wasn't, like, full wind-up. He was just throwing darts. Right. And that's why he did so well. He, the ball every so, time was coming in almost at the same exact spot. I was talking to a friend of mine about this same thing because – We've seen over over the years, right, where a lot of guys will bring, for obviously nostalgia purposes and because it's their dad, they'll bring their father out as a pitcher and all that stuff. Father, brother. Robinson Cano did it for a couple of years there, and it worked out for him, right? But I compared this to, and it was his dad, surprisingly enough, because it was, remember Bryce Harper when he had his dad out there throwing to him? Well, his dad has been throwing a BP since his he was dad a knows where kid, to throw right? it to him, yeah. He knows right where to throw it to him, and he was consistent. There wasn't any wasted time between pitches. Like he knew he right, wasn't doing full windup, he was throwing as darts. As soon as the umpire gave him the sign, boom, it was, it, it was consistent, right? There was a lot of pitchers that were throwing to these guys that should have hit a lot more home runs that. I blame it more on the pitching and the lack of consistency <laughs> of where they were throwing the ball than I do the hitter. Alonzo's pitcher hurt him a lot. A hundred percent. Alonzo's pitcher hurt him a lot. A lot of guys. So even Soto having to go like there was some that he he was yeah. out because they were so far outside. So yeah, this a, a, a huge credit. His name's Framney Pena, uh, and huge credit to him because he really helped this kid get far and get noticed by just throwing him in there. Exactly what should be done in a home run derby. So great to see again. Juan Soto wins it all. A few quick stat casts, real quick. Eight to eight contestants in this hit. 291 home runs. That's the third most of any derby. Uh, the, the two derbies behind that are 2019 with 312 and 2021 with 309. So the past three home run derbies have been the top ones. 291 home runs. That's more home runs hit in one night than in a single season at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. The record for that was 2019 at 246. Uh, so crazy to see there. Average of 416 feet. A total of 22.9 miles worth of home runs. Unreal. That is crazy. 31 over 450, 2 over 480. That was Soto at 482 and Alonzo at 480. Great home run derby. All right, James, it's time for a social media shout-out, man. Who's been in the chat room? Who's chatting it up? I saw it moving quite a bit earlier. It was yeah, going. It's moving. It's a little short tonight, I guess, because of it's Wednesday, but uh, it's, we have a good list. And I know we got so, a lot of Ravens fans that, yeah, <laughs> that anticipate it's, it's, the Ravens it's, it's, on a it's, it's, kickoff, but we're talking but, Orioles first. We're talking Orioles, but uh, the first with Dave Mitzler. He, uh, we haven't seen you in a while. Thank you for uh, being here Appreciate you tonight. stopping by, Dave. You, buddy. Uh, Chuck Summer was second. See uh, more. Uh, Garnett West uh, chimed in. Um, he gave a lot of shout-outs to uh, the Orioles saying, you know, hoping uh, they could do exactly what Delana did last year. So right. he was giving the love for that. Uh, Steven, uh, Scott, uh, Joe Carloza was in there. Jacob, Ahmed, uh, John Googs, as always, been chatting up a lot in here. Uh, he hasn't came at, at me at all tonight, so I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised. Um, just he's going after Buster and uh, Soto. But uh, Nick Short chimed in, and uh, Stephanie Swords uh, was our last one that joined in. So everybody's any, chatting it up. Any uh, comments or questions out there? Yeah, I got some pinned. Um, yeah, let's go. So it'll be good. Um, so Scott said, uh, everyone talking about JK, how is Gus looking? We're going to answer that in a couple yes. of minutes. So we'll save that Stay one as we're ready to talk and about Ravens. Chuck Summer said, are the Orioles buyers, sellers, investors between now and the trade deadline? 
I still I still believe that they're sellers, but it's not what you would have anticipated at the beginning of the year. I think it's selling for the right value. You know what I mean? They're not going to sell to sell. They're not going to sell to move. Uh, but if somebody comes away around and blows them away with prospects, I think they will. I don't think they buy. Which is where I lean towards the idea that that you just said Drew was in yeah, investors came because up with that word I loved it. We had a little conversation. About that's actually a pretty good word. Thing. Like, yeah. it's like uh, going out and trading certain assets for like Pablo Lopez or Castillo yeah. in Cincinnati. Things that can help you now and the pitchers future. that can help now, and and not necessarily something you're going to sit there and throw. Gunnar Henderson or the likes mm-hmm. that, but with the addition of uh, Holiday, somebody like Westberg is a big name that would be a big draw in something like that. Yeah, but yeah. even then, like even anything can happen. It's kind of like when you when you trade in a fantasy fantasy football. Like you send a guy, you send you send somebody a trade, and like oh my, holy shit, they accepted <laughs> that. Like it could be like a team. Just, you must have traded with somebody like at a the funeral. Reds could have just just point. They could just be like, I just need something. Right here's Castillo, yeah. and you get a Manny Machado level deal type of thing. I'm not saying that would happen, but stuff like 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 Chuck said, I think investment like is that I, and, kind of thing. And like, I. You could be selling off guys like Mancini and Santander, and that could still happen. But then you could do these other moves that it's strengthening still for the and future. That's, and that's that's kind of that's kind of what I was I was getting at, and I think that's what you and Chuck are getting at. Is it's a return? You're getting on a return on your current investment mm-hmm. to get an investment in another player. So it's it's a buyer and a seller at the same time. So it's kind of that happy medium, if you will, that we're invested in what we're doing, but we're also going forward. James, what else we got? Uh, I put it, I put it up there so you guys can see. Oh, Adit says which prospects are untouchable in a trade? I think Grayson, DL, Henderson, Holiday, Kowser, and maybe Mayo or Kerstad, depending on the guy. So I agree one hundred percent with your list. Uh, the only ones of the of that list that I'd be potentially willing to move if the deal was right would be Kowser, Mayo, and Kerstad. Those would be the three guys that I'd be Ooh. willing I'm to entertain. Sure about that? I'm, yes. I'm surprised at him yes. for that answer. As much as I love Mayo, as <laughs> much as I love Mayo, you all know how high He's I am on this kid. Mullins around here. <laughs> now, yeah, right? <laughs> and listen, with the power that we had, what, what I really liked about Mayo was, I told you earlier, the yeah. one thing that this system lacks is this system lacks big power, right? Outside of Ryan Mountcastle, beyond that, there wasn't a whole lot of big power bats. Mayo is that next big power bat, but we just added a few guys that have, Stowers maybe. He's more of like a 25-30 guy. I'm talking big power bats. I think 35 or more uh, is where Mayo ends up being. Uh, Again, I'm not giving away to give away. It would be for the right prospect, but I think it's a good list. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good list, and I'm surprised with you on Mayo because for me, it, it would be Kowser and Kerstad would be the two guys. Get the beat when they did that. I know, right? Yeah. I was like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, I, I'm not comfortable with that. How are you? you that was my guy before. <laughs> He's not my son. He's my stepson, so I'm willing to give him away. Friends forgetting that we know we got DJ Stewart. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Ain't exactly. nobody giving you shit for DJ Stewart. <laughs> I can tell you that. What a power. <laughs> he ain't going nowhere. Christ. All right, fellas, it's time for some oh. flock talk. Appreciate you guys that aren't Oriole fans for sticking with us to get here to the Ravens. But I'll be honest with you. There's, there's not a whole lot going about. on with the Ravens. There's not a whole lot to talk about right now. Uh, we will say this training camp officially now underway. As yep. Rookies reporting day was yesterday. Uh, now starts the countdown to kickoff for the 2022 season. 
So we can start ramping up. We can start getting excited for the year. You know what else people can get excited about and chill out about? What's that? Is the question that came up earlier, I believe it might have been Steve, that said, you know, about the 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 rookies not signing. Well, Daniel Falele, yep. Jordan Arnavis, Arnavis signed their rookie deals on Saturday before returning to mini camp this week or a mini uh, training camp, rookie training camp this week. So One of those. Gr- great to see. Yeah, great to see that. I wrote it wrong. Great to see that. You know, those were the two that we were kind of questioning going, okay, it's kind of getting a little late, mm-hmm. and you're not like a big name. Like, no no offense to Daniel Falele or, or Jordan Armand Davis, but the, you weren't like a first, second-round type type player. So we didn't think there was going to be much, like, argument Maybe over Scott contract. Maybe Scott represents them, too. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but, no, it, it was. Ha- I was happy to see that on, on uh, Saturday evening, Sunday night, or Sunday Saturday evening, Sunday morning, when they announced that, that they were going to go ahead and, and sign and then – knowing that the training camp was coming up, kind of going, okay, these guys are going to be here. We saw the video of Falele on Tuesday reporting. It's great to kind of see all that yeah. kind of really coming to fruition and, and really going on, especially considering all of the social media drama that's been that's, going that's on. That's what I cannot stand what's going on right now is all this social media BS that continues to go on. It's, I, it, I have a love-hate relationship with, with <laughs> social media, especially Twitter, right? But uh, – Right now, there's some shit going on with uh, J.K. Dobbins and Ian Rappaport. Ian Rappaport put out this whole thing that J.K.'s not going to end up being ready for he the preseason. He said it live on air. It wasn't even a tweet. He said it live on air. Right. Said he won't be ready for week one of the Ravens season. Well, J.K., Fireback was tired of hearing all the bullshit and all the naysayers and all that stuff telling him. He said, fuck you, Ian Rappaport. Come to me. I'm a man. Come to me. Now, he's just, come to me if you want a source. I'm going to tell you I'm going to be ready for week one, uh, which for Ravens fans is a positive thing because here's the thing. J.K. isn't a big social media presence. He he isn't a guy that puts all his stuff out there. You know, in this day and age, you see all these workout videos and you see Lamar throwing to his receivers and all that stuff. And, you know, a lot of guys buy into that. And then some guys just don't. Some guys are just workers. They put work in behind the scenes. But I think fan base. Gets oh, you so- mean like you mean like. Like uh, LJ did from camp. Right, exactly. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. You know, there's just some guys that are grinders. Some guys that are just workers, right? And J.K. is one of those guys. J.K. has been through a multitude uh, of things through his career, mainly through his college career. And this is his first big pro uh, obstacle. And it's it's a nasty injury, right? It wasn't just... It wasn't just an ACL. It was ACL, MCL, LCL. It was all the CLs. You know, it was it was it was a mess in his knee. Uh, so he's you know he's on pace, right? Obviously, it happened. Pace, they've been saying he's ahead of pace. It's it's it happened right at the end of the preseason. And I still think John Harbaugh is kicking himself in the ass for even having him in that game, uh, which I also think uh, is also a bitter point of talk for JK. I think that's still in the back of his mind. Is I should have never even been in that fucking game to begin with, and this never yeah. would have happened. Um, but nonetheless, to hear him come out and voice his, his, his opinion on his rehab and that he's going to be ready for week one, I think can put some Raven fans' minds at ease a little bit or fantasy owners over there and Drew, right? Yeah. <laughs> Guys that just didn't know what to expect out of JK or when he was going to be ready. You know, the other thing that, that you're talking about here is you're talking, you know, Ian Rapport, when he did that interview, it wasn't just that the, the whole preseason in week one was the big story. If you actually go, did you go listen to it? Yeah. When it, he makes the statement, oh, it could be several weeks into the season before Ravens fans see J.K. Dobbins. Did you, you s- motherfucker? 
motherfucker. Did like, you see Pat McAfee give him shit when JK fired back? It yes. was fantastic. It was awesome because I, I think Pat as a player understands and gets that that like sometimes you don't know where the fuck these guys are getting their their stories straight for their stories from because you're sitting there going motherfucker i'm ahead of schedule i'm catching balls i'm running on the treadmill i'm doing shit that i people say i shouldn't be doing right now and i'm doing it i'm doing it comfortably without a problem right Did you see the picture with him with who Rappenport. next to um uh back 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 chris uh, berman yeah he's like yeah. a midget dude Oh yeah, oh, yeah. he's, he's super dude. short. Yeah, yeah, but they have next to Chris Berman. It's totally like Chris Berman. is a huge like, dude. Yeah. Chris Berman's like six four. Isn't he? Yeah, he's he's a big yeah. guy. He's about my size. Yeah, so he, he like yeah, the whole thing. It, there's there's more to it than that. I think it was it was all that. It was the the bitterness of last yeah. year that everybody was going. What all of those guys? Half of those guys got injured last year. We're all going. What the fuck are they out there? Yeah, like it's, hindsight is twenty twenty. They're trying to get reps in. And who knows? Maybe he wanted to get the reps in. And John said, all right, I'll let you get some reps in. Whatever. We don't know. We're not privy to that information. Yep. And they're not going to share it if they don't want to. So we don't know the story. But what we do know is that the Ravens have reported J.K.'s ahead. J.K. is saying he's ahead. Biting from anything serious happening, shut the fuck up, Ian Rappaport. He is, <laughs> Ian Rappaport is a, a problem. Not as big of a problem as Jason Locke and Fora with incorrect information at times. But Rappaport never has any ramifications I'll, I'll for being this, wrong. I'll say this, though. He, he stood his ground after Pat McAfee gave him a bunch of shit. And he said, oh, JK just dunked on you. And just gave him all this shit. It was hilarious. Uh, he came back and said, listen, you know, all respect to JK. He's like, but I trust this source. Like, this source is a, a viable source. Didn't say where he came from or who it was. Not Obviously, he's not going to yeah. give that see, information that's what, away. That's what gets me is, like, okay, you, I could give... I give like Rappaport and the chef, like those two guys. Like I can give you, like you are the two. But fuck Buster Pony. But, oh no, <laughs> definitely fuck Buster Pony. No, but like for that, for that, like it's kind of like Woj in NBA. Mm. Like I, your track record is like I can, I can stand by you on things, and I get not burning your source. No one's ever gonna burn their source, even you know the the shittier guys that we don't like. Uh, they're not gonna <laughs> burn their source, but at the same time, like you hide behind that anonymity easily so you could have just made that up and not actually have source yeah yeah so like as we go like look you could be writing a story there's the unfortunately there's clickbait for a reason so the pessimistic part of our fan base if you if you want to think it's dire you do that I, i'm with what fred I'm exactly what you said hear from the horse's mouth yep yeah obviously you could think too like a player's not a gonna, player's gonna sugarcoat it you might it think it's gonna sugarcoat it but if Social you media. think you're healthy and you think you're going to give it a go, you think you're ready on week one, it doesn't matter what Scott, Fred, uh, Joe, and Timonium, like, <laughs> well, it's also important. Like, it doesn't matter. To, to your point, though, too, right. it's combined with the fact that the Ravens, the organization has said, he is ahead of schedule. Yeah. We expect. I don't know him if they said he's here. ahead of schedule. They I think did. they John said Harbaugh, that he's on schedule. John Harbaugh before said that he was ahead of schedule from everything that they with were JK? learning. With JK, with okay. JK, I might have missed that one. He said, "I think the only player that they they said that didn't they didn't say was ahead of schedule and more just on track was actually Marcus Peters. Yeah, which is the one that we're going." 
his injury wasn't as bad as JK, but JK's on well, track better. So the other thing that Rappaport was trying to sell you on too, and that the validity of up, Don? of his source was the fact that listen, the Ravens went out and had a contingency plan. They signed Mike Davis. They went ahead and drafted the kid Batty. Right? They drafted another option who has looked good in the you know the rookie training camp thing. I like picked Batty. up the offense. I, I like him too. Yeah. Uh, but this isn't the Ravens saying that that that. He's not going to be ready week one. This is the Ravens saying, we don't want to be in a position like we were last year <laughs> yeah, where we have to find fucking Joe Blow off of the goddamn bus stop around Scoop the corner. Scoop somebody up and haven't played him, much in the last five years. That's why right? I say that it yeah. could easily be Rappaport creating his own narrative and hiding behind the source thing because obviously he's not going to burn a source. Right. And you could just come up with that alone. But, well, look, they drafted What's a up, guy Don? and brought in a guy. Like, no, it would have happened one way or the other. It's the same thing as, like, you know, bringing in, you know, a third and fourth guy when you just added two free agent running backs or something like right. you're still going to have that depth because anything can happen. And now the Ravens know, like, you're the definition of anything can happen. You and, lost your fucking trio whole, of running backs last year. Whole Three. Yeah. You, you lost, lost your whole gambit of running backs. Of course, the Ravens are going to be a little overprotective of that position this year, and rightfully well, so. And, and and to that point, right? These guys are both coming back off injury. You don't Major know what happens. You don't know what can happen when they get back onto the field in, in heavier exercises. We're training tramp. There's a little bit more competition. Whatever. These guys are, are solidified, but it's for them again. What I started to say earlier. This is to get a guy like a Mike Davis and pick him up. If you release him, it's pennies on the fucking dollar for yeah, them. Right. It is nothing for them to do that. It's a, it's it's a insurance cheap, policy. It's a cheap but good insurance policy yeah. to have. So in the baddie situation, again, it's a rookie. It's cheap. Yep. It's a rookie that's showing you good things. That you got All, in, what, the sixth round or fifth round, whatever he was, if, it was a late round pick. Guess what? If baddie looked bad or if baddie looks bad, you can put him and stash him and keep him on the, the practice squad and stash him as one of your stashes. And then you could also turn around and keep Mike Davis. But if he's looking great, you can say, hey, Mike, we'd like to move you to the practice squad. We're going to move you to the practice squad. If somebody picks you up, entertain the offer. Well, staying with social media drama, the one that made me grab my popcorn and sit back and say, I, I need to I need to read. <laughs> you know, I don't it, it took a minute because there were there was a lot was of shit. A fucking book. There was a lot of shit going on here because by the time I got to it, there was a whole lot of back and forth. And it was between Lamar and one former Raven in Bernard Pollard. I'll let you lay this out, but this got real deep. This got real entertaining for me. And and caught me off guard because Lamar usually doesn't fire I, back like this. So here's the deal: I'm gonna flip the script on you. I'm gonna let you set the stage because I'm a, I'm. A, this is the topic I'm about to fucking go off on. Well, so here's the thing: <laughs> if you don't know who Bernard Pollard was, Bernard Pollard was safety for us for a few years. Uh, he he Two went years. okay. He went around. He bounced around with teams. Well, what he was known for in his time was he was a thumper. He was a hitter. Uh, he was a box safety. That I mean, he he laid some thunder. Right. That that's what his specialty was. He wasn't a great cover corner or anything like that. But he was a pretty fundamentally sound tackler uh, in his time. And actually, the year that he was with the Ravens in twenty twenty or in twenty twelve when we won the Super Bowl, he led the team in tackles that year. As a mm -hmm. safety, right? 11 and 12. Uh, yeah. Yep. He, he led the team in tackles that year. And granted, Ray Lewis, who always typically read, you know, led the team, 
was that was the deer antler spray year. That was the year he was out for most of the year. He was hurt and he came back for the final ride, you know, that whole so thing. So more people were getting to the secondary than usual. Right, exactly. So there's a whole lot of things that went into this. But the back and forth between them, again, Lamar is not somebody who usually fires back at his critics, but Bernard Pollard has been absolutely relentless against Lamar Jackson and why he's not a good quarterback and why he's, you know, he's just not the right fit. Why wide receivers don't want to come to Baltimore. Yeah, exactly. Why wide receivers will never want to play here. And and he's just not a pocket passer that he's like a one trick pony with his legs and that kind of thing. Uh, and, And Lamar has just kind of absorbed it for the last couple of years. But every time his name gets brought up by Bernard Pollard, I'm sure it's just eating away and eating away and eating away. Okay. And finally, Lamar Jackson fired back. My turn here. Good. This whole exchange was fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Ridiculous. I am so... On both ends or just on Bernard's? On Bernard, 100%. 100% on Bernard. Here's why. I'm so tired of former players coming out and I could do this against Lamar. I could do that against Lamar. Really? Because last time I checked, you're not in the NFL. You could get your ass in shape and come back and get out there if you want to prove something. Go ahead. Uh, he tried that last year. Remember, he said he was coming to the Chiefs. He's going to work out. And I don't think anybody actually gave him a chance to work out. Wait, wait, wait! To steal my thunder with saying. that. It was something. I didn't put in here. Oh, I didn't see. But it. yeah, no, well, no I, didn't, I didn't put it in here. I had it in the back because I didn't want uh, to. Okay. I didn't know if anybody remember that. Yeah. But you tried it. It didn't work, buddy. Guys like this get me the most because here's the deal. Dude, Bernard Pollard, you were a sound fundamental tackler. You were a par, a par player at best when it came to the things that everybody cares about, especially at your position, buddy, because you may have been a strong safety. You have 12 career interceptions. By the way, not even close to an elite level DB. Not even close. No. Okay. You had 10 and a half career sacks. For a strong safety or DB, you're not even in the top 25 controver- or conversation. Honestly, I didn't even dig any further than 25, but I would venture to say you're probably not even in the top 50 career-wise. I am so tired of players coming out and saying this shit. You want to say something? Strap the fuck up and get back on the field. I'm so tired of it. It is. You are. Uh, you can't speak to anything about wide receivers. If you were a wide receiver, I might give you a fucking pass. Don't talk about wide receivers not coming to Baltimore because of how he plays when you were a fucking safety that was subpar and jumped around from teams because nobody wanted to give you a contract because you weren't the great that you think you were. You know why? Your best, your best situation was credit to NFL chick on this who said, at LJ8 era, Lamar, Godson, don't argue with someone whose big, biggest moment on live TV was this, and it was that whole video of him doing the dance and the split when he was basically a a stripper stripper, like a stripper in in san francisco like dude shut twerking the fuck up you know nothing about this if you're brought on as an analyst if you want to talk about dbs and safeties and how they need to wrap up and tackle dude i'm listening but don't talk about wide receivers. Don't talk about quarterbacks and everything he's doing wrong because you are an elite level. If you were Ed Reed level and you were making those comments about quarterbacks, different story, bro. 
different story because Ed Reed could read it. I saw a video and somebody, somebody posted, he's not this guy. And it was the video of Ed Reed when he was in that top 100 where you had Bill Belichick saying best play he's ever seen was Ed Reed against Peyton Manning where yeah. he faked out Peyton, Peyton Manning. I'm just so tired calm, of former calm players. your tits a little bit. Let's let's calm down. Take it, oh, take it down. A couple calm notches. down a little. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, right? So Bernard Pollard, I respect him because he was a big part of that Super Bowl run. Uh, and I think without him, especially with some of the injuries and stuff that we had on that defense, I don't know if we win that Super Bowl. You could say that early. you could say that about a lot of guys. Oh, if we remove this guy, I don't know if we win the Super Bowl. But he is in that realm. It wasn't like he was just there for the ride. Like he was a, con a major contributor. He led the team in tackles, right? So I respect Bernard Pollard and what he did for the Ravens. But I think Lamar kind of summed it up best is like, listen, they don't talk about you around here. Who do they talk about, right? They talk about Ray. They talk about Ed. They talk about, you know, Chris McAllister. They talk about all the names that made a huge impact in their careers when they were here. And he's right. And if Lamar left tomorrow, Lamar would be in that discussion. Lamar will always be talked about in his MVP year. And it will always be talked about as one of the greats as the Raven, even if he left tomorrow, right? He brought Bernard Pollard. Play here. Bernard yeah. Pollard will never sniff that and never could sniff that. And nobody in the organization brings up his name anymore because he didn't have that kind of an impact. So Lamar's rebuttal was fucking fantastic. And I loved it. And here, here's the other thing, right? So as much, as much respect as I have, for Bernard Pollard, the only reason that he continues to go after Lamar like he does What's on social media, media is because it gets this kind of reaction. It's because it's the yeah. only thing that he can talk about that actually gets likes and retweets and people responding to him and keeping Bernard Pollard relevant. The motherfucker is in NASCAR now. Who gives a goddamn about NASCAR? That's where he's doing it. He's, he's driving like NASCAR trucks or something. Let him do that. Let him, let him be an ace in NASCAR trucks. But the only thing that keeps him relevant in the NFL discussion is his slander of Lamar Jackson. And I think that's why you see a lot of social media uh, personalities jump on the Lamar slander. It's fucking because clickbait. It's clickbait, and it gets people talking. And it, even if it's in a negative way towards you, it brings your followers up, and it brings your mentions up. And these guys make money off of that stuff. Yeah. That's no, I, why I, Bernard Pollard I don't disagree it. with you. I'm just so, like, go make your, go make your money off of you, not off of somebody else. I agree. You're slandering somebody else to make money. You lose my respect 100%, especially a guy who's fighting and grinding, and you want to talk about that. That's the thing that gets me is these guys that come out of the woodwork going, oh, if I was playing against him, then strap the fuck up, motherfucker. And <laughs> some of these guys even go, oh, I'll get back out. Then I'll do it. Go ahead. Nobody's giving you a fucking shot because you weren't that great anyway. Right. I guarantee you if Ed Reed strapped up and said, I'm doing it, he at least get some looks. Bernard Man. Pollard, you're not getting know. any looks. He looks homeless at this point. Go ahead. He's looked homeless <laughs> um, his entire career. Yeah. I got Bernard Pollard on line two for sure. <laughs> I'll talk to him. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, I'll tell him. Straight to his face. Straight to his uh, face. Man, so another thing that came about on social media, this wasn't two players going back and forth, but it was about a player, at least one that was a former player for the Ravens, uh -huh. right? Uh, and it was about Orlando Brown Jr. And <laughs> how... What I gather out of this is how much of a genius Eric DaCosta looks like <laughs> yeah, now he does. for sending OBJ away when he did and getting the picks that he did because 
all the bullshit that we heard out of Orlando Brown was, you know, it ain't about money. It's about, you know, my father and I having this path and having this plan and having this legacy. And I'm a, I'm a left tackle and I want to be a left tackle and all these things. So, you know, the Ravens said, well, we paid our left tackle. If you really want to be a left tackle, well, we'll, we'll create a path for you. We'll find you with a team that, you know, needs a left tackle and that's where you'll go. Uh, so they did that. And not only did they do that, but they sent him to an organization like the Chiefs, who are in the fucking con- contention for a Super Bowl every year, right? Who so were fighting against to try and be there. If you're Orlando Brown, you're like, damn, this is a win-win. Not only am I a left tackle, but I'm in the contention for a playoff position every single year. They didn't send me to the Texans. They didn't send me to the Browns. They didn't send me to somebody who's never <laughs> going to be in the playoffs. They didn't right? send me to Seattle, who's de- or deconstructing exactly, everything. Exactly, right? So you're, you're, you know, you're Orlando Brown. You're like, damn, I'm sitting pretty. Well, push come to shove, and contracts start coming. Contract talks start coming. And, you know, the Chiefs have a value on Orlando Brown Jr. And the value that they're paying him or offering him is right tackle money. Yep. And you would think if it wasn't about money, Orlando Brown would be like, you know what? I'm still getting 20-something million dollars a year, but I'm playing left tackle. And that's what this whole thing was supposed to be about. And I'm going after a playoff. But he said, you know what, Chiefs? Go fuck yourself. I'm a left tackle. Pay me like a left yeah, tackle. Yeah, and that's the thing here is that one of the things that, that they, you know, I, I forget who it was on ESPN basically said, and there was a tweet about it too, that like his source inside the Chiefs organization said that this is, their their statement to that, that reporter was, this is not the team-friendly player that we thought we were getting in OBJ because everything was made up to be Hey, this is about me being left tackle. This is where I want to be. I want to prove myself. He's acting like he's done what he did at right tackle here As at left, left tackle, tackle for the Chiefs. And you didn't do it, dude. No. You didn't do it. So to your point, EDC looks like a fucking genius. Yep. We won this trade 100% at this point. We already knew we won the trade, but now this just, for me, seals the deal. You were absolutely 150% going to lose out on this guy. So to end up getting back a first-round pick, and I think they got a fifth-round pick for him as well, or whatever they got, like, not to mention, unbelievable. Not to mention he's being such a whiny bitch about this right. that they franchise-tagged him. Got Brown on line three. <laughs> Go ahead. I don't give a shit. I'll say to him, you're being a whiny bitch, dude. You're being a whiny bitch. You didn't put up numbers that, as a left say tackle. If you, if you, I'll say it to his face. What's he going to do? Swing at me? Then I'll, then I'll be rich. I'll be rich, bitch. Uh, no, the, the thing here is, dude, you didn't, you didn't put it up. I don't want his wardrobe, though. Wardrobe's terrible. <laughs> his franchise, they franchise-tag him to get in there. And there's rumors that he's not going to show up. This not is surprised. the whole thing. Like, he... See that's what's funny to like to put it back to the Ravens' perspective. Like it, the same thing would happen now. Like I always, I always said it. And I'm never, you, you could never say I never said it. He would have held out last year. I fully 100 percent would. I agree. I, I if think the Ravens didn't make that. the yeah. move, yeah, and yeah. that would have extended the year. You would have been nowhere different than where you were last year. And now it's just like it's vindication because, like you said, like. You're right back in this position where, like, now you're like you say, you're not going to. It's just like every other kind of tag, just amount, just about every other kind of tag player is just not going to show up, and you're going to try to fight it. And we'll see how it goes because it could get super ugly. Because I, I could, I could you had a Kansas, chance to prove yourself, and, and you did. Kansas City not, not budging on it because, like, look, just in general, they decided to, like, look, Tyree Kill, we just cannot pay you. Like, they, right. they, they would still rather him be there. 
But we just, like, we cannot, like, we're not going to be able to really pay you that. Go see what you can get and see what he got. Like, that's going to be, like, the same situation. So if they weren't going to pay someone who was super integral and at the top of his game, arguably you could put him in that conversation for top wide receiver, this guy's nowhere near uh, in the conversation for top left tackle. Right, 100%. And, Jot, to, to Goog's point, too, is apparently his agent is gaslighting him, too. So not yeah. only is he here and go fuck yourself from the Chiefs, his agent's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, Shut the it fuck wasn't up. Really good yeah. deal. It actually really was a good deal. Yeah, 100% it was, it was a good deal. It was a good deal. It was a good deal for the value. It was a reasonable is. deal is, for the player that he is. He is not, that. He, in my opinion, he is not a top 10 left tackle, but he is a top three right tackle in the league even today, and that is paying him at, that, sh- at that tier. We should have so, traded him to Miami. They got a left-handed quarterback. You could, he could... He he can do well in the right tackle there. It's more than a fair enough there. deal. I'm telling you now, I don't think the Chiefs budge. Uh-huh. I don't think the Chiefs offer anymore. I think Orlando they, Brown, I think Orlando Brown is going to have to swallow his pride. He's going to end up signing this contract. The ball is completely or even their, lower. Their ball is completely in their court because with, uh, I'm going to forget the other guard, but with uh, bringing in Thunny or Thuny, however you say his yeah. name, uh, drafting Humphrey and the other guard, like they have literally like, Arguably the top one or you know one or two unit at at uh, up the middle, not counting the tackles. Right. So if they believe so strongly in that and this quarterback who can, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I love that. I, I grant, I you know I love Patrick Mahomes, but like it's a dude that can just make something out of nothing and be this gunslinger and run around and and get away from it. You look what he was trying to do in the Super Bowl without a line at all, right? And he was still able to almost you know get come back and win that game. So they're you know they're like just added they're not going to budge because no. they don't really need. There's to. no incentive for them there to budge. Isn't. Like you're already they they gave you the tag that like that's what you're going to be on, and if you're going to hold out, well we'll just keep going with the status quo. Yeah. Absolutely, James. What's your take on Orlando Brown, man, and the Ravens working out on that deal? Like we all, well, Drew talked about the most about he could hold out, and and now they're just getting. Uh, what we thought was going to happen, but I guess he wasn't too happy in uh, Kansas City and, you know, protecting uh, Patrick Mahomes. Or maybe maybe he just got tired of his brother, too. You had to do less work <laughs> and you saying, still couldn't do it. I, I don't think this this <laughs> – none of this comes down to Orlando Brown not being happy as a Raven, not uh, Orlando Brown not being happy as a Chief. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think he was content in both cities that he's in. It come down to – Ego. Ego, Ego, and it came down to money when he said it didn't. He wasn't a man of his word because he said that this was never about money, that this was always about him following in his father's footsteps. And what do we say? I mean, he, he put the advertising out there himself in his fucking touchdown celebrations when he would go get Lamar and easy money and all the bullshit that he did when he was here. You knew it was ultimately going to be about money. This just goes to show when push comes to shove, that's all it was. Yeah, no, it, it's, not, it's not pretty. Uh, the one other thing I did want to bring up, because it had me going, dude, you should have never put that tweet out there. Marlon. Oh, there's a lot of things Marlon shouldn't put out in the world with his tweets. Marlin, Marlin. Especially his food takes are god-awful. <laughs> Terrible. Marlon is different, but dude, goof, you've been playing for us for how long? And he puts out the tweet of... Uh, the didn't didn't know the Ravens were named after Edgar Allan Poe and then like the mind bullet. Dude, you just blew my fucking mind. Really? Really? That's the- how little these guys do on research about their teams. <laughs> like, Lamar Jackson, I'm sorry. But you I, never asked why our, why our mascot's name is Poe? I know. And here's the thing. <laughs> it's multiple things. Like, Lamar Jackson didn't know who Bernard Pollard even was. Like, 
at some point, I understand, like, he's not talked about, but his name had to have gotten brought up somewhere in the Ravens. There's a poster know. somewhere. <laughs> something. There's got to be something, something you found across. You didn't know who he was at all. But they definitely have the team photos throughout. Oh, the right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but he's not going, he's not going to. Right. And, and you would think Lamar is more of a historian about the game. Like, he really respects yeah, the game. He's probably just that pissed off. Like, that was like you said early, too, when he it was all bitter. started. I'm so tired of hearing my name. And now this dude, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm not having it. And then, you know, with this, with Marlon and, and not knowing Poe, it just goes to show, like, this guy was like, you know what? I'm a good football player. I love the team that I'm on, but they're going to pay me, and that's all I really care about at the end of the day. Whatever. Yeah. All right, so I know that you kind of wanted to to give our, our preseason predictions for the NFL this year and, and where we think we're going to land with the the – the different divisions, who's going to wind up, you know, how many wild card teams do we have? So one thing we do, I'll, we're going to let you sum up each division and pluses and minuses, things that come in and out, just quick synopsis. And then the, the four of us are going to give who we think is going to win each of the divisions and then who we think our three wild card teams are going to be. So okay. let's start with the North. And then we'll start with you, Fred. Give us give us a rundown of the North. What's going on? I think we all kind of know it, but quick rundown, and then what you uh, what you're thinking as far as the North and who's going to walk away with the North Championship. You're talking about our division, right? Our division. So yep. obviously, uh, you got. I was going to go through this thing. We don't still have a whole lot of time for it. You know what? Let's save this. Let's save this no, for save next week table? where we okay. actually have a little bit. The Orioles went way longer than it I expected did. it to. <laughs> this is going to take some time. And I, I do want to make sure that we get – because I want to do two things. I want to do our pre-preseason picks, and then I want to do our preseason actual prior to week one picks, see if anything changes based off of injuries, based off of okay. you know, people getting uh, starting positions that we didn't so, expect, that kind of thing. In the meantime, for next week – all of you guys, all of you guys, bring to the table who you think will win each division and the three wild card speed spots in each league. It's going to take, and time. then we'll, we'll go from there. We'll we'll break it down next week. And for you guys out there too, let us know. Us, send us in your picks. Yeah. You know, add us, whatever. Tweet us. Get us a, a, a message, whatever. And you can also do it in the chat room next week. But bring it. Write them down. See how yours compares to ours. We'll get it out there next week. I don't think my team is big enough. <laughs> <laughs> Table's bigger than my deck. We're good. <laughs> no rules. No uh, boundaries. Yeah, Two topics. 30 seconds each. It's time for the two-minute warning. No! All right, fellas. It's time for the two-minute warning. For those who don't know, each one of us gets 30 seconds between Scott and I to answer two questions uh, in two minutes. So Drew is As reading the, the questions this week. the song didn't tell everybody know, what happens. <laughs> Drew, kick us off, man. What's question one? What do we got? Now that I am into golf with all of you guys, yeah, uh, begs the question: If you could play, uh, if you could have your best round ever, let's say at par or one or two strokes under, even what PGA course would you want it to come at? What PGA course? All right. Good, Scott. Not live course. Uh, I, yeah, I'll go for So PGA course for me, um, probably one of the harder ones out there, one of the ones that is a bucket list place for me. A lot of people might say Augusta. For me, it's TPC Sawgrass. That's 17, which is why I want to go back and play renditions. We're trying to set that up. Uh, but 17 and TPC Sawgrass and just that whole course, it's it plays tough. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to be Augusta, right? Like, to be able to go there, I mean, they just 
it's how well manicured it is and just the history of who's played there. I mean, you can Fair say enough. that about a lot of courses. but You can say that about St. Andrews. You can say that about St. Andrews, which would be another really cool one. But uh, if we're talking about within the States, Augusta, uh, it just it, – it, I think it would be a really cool course to play and to be able to shoot a really good round there. I think I'd be fe feeling by, pretty good about myself. By the way, bunkers were invented at St. Andrews, so kind of semi-fuck painting at St. Andrews. Yeah. Uh, so uh, shout out to Googs for this one. With some uh, NFL teams dropping a lot of new alternate helmets, would you like to see the Ravens drop a new one? If so, what color, scheme and all, or keep it the same? Oh, um... It wouldn't be pretty for the game, like in the game, like during the game. But white would look super clean. A white helmet with a with the the, the black and purple shield on it. Uh, but even also a purple a purple helmet wouldn't. You know, if you're gonna do a color rush, a purple helmet for a color rush, I wouldn't mind that. I hate I hate when they did the. I think they tried the or they brought out the gold helmets the one time and it just it was didn't gold work. pants. It was gold, gold pants. pants. It looked like look, mustard. Yeah, no, I, I think for the alternative, uh, I don't think you need to go too crazy with it. I've seen some crazy sketches and some images of of. Ones There's a cool bunch of people elements. on Twitter that do it. I have one at home. It's a mini helmet, and it's a it's a matte purple. So it's not a shiny. It's a matte purple. It's got the gold stripes. It's got a gold face mask on it. Still got the same raven head on it. You could do that, or you could do some you know uh, version of the shield or whatever on it. But I think a matte purple uh, with the gold accents would look really really good as an alternative fair helmet. Fair enough. Uh, in my opinion. Good show, guys. Hey, appreciate you guys tuning in, as always. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned for the After Hours. I know James got some questions lined up that have been pinned through the chat room. And if you got any more questions, dump them in, them the, in chat the chat room. We'll definitely answer Yeah, them. as always, guys, we appreciate you guys tuning in each week when we go live this week. Obviously, we went live on a Wednesday because we, we figured the All-Star game let everybody kind of sit back and absorb it uh, with everything that was going on. So next week, we'll be back next Tuesday night, 730 Eastern Standard Time. Uh, that's how you find us. You can also find us on our website, www.bird.com. Birdlandbs.com. While you're there, you can check out all of our all of our gear. Get yourself uh, into each of our episodes and check out the Shell and Tell podcast. You guys have been putting out some new episodes here recently. Yeah, recording one tomorrow. Hey, we're getting down. What are we at? What number are we at? We're down to. We're, are we below fifty yet yeah. or sixty? What are you talking about? For games left like before before the right? beginning of the oh, season. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're down below 50. Yeah, so we're getting there, guys. Uh, so stay stay tuned and stay up to date with these guys as things happen with Maryland. Uh, make sure you also follow us all on our social media pages. At Berlin BS is how you find us. Or our individual handles. Handles, you can go check it out. Make sure you set that notification bell on any of the platforms so you can know when we go live or when we put out new content. We appreciate each of you guys when you also leave us the reviews on the audio version of the show, which is on any the podcast platforms so go check us out there drop that review help us be found help create a even larger birdland bs nation we appreciate all of you guys that are out there and we'll see you guys next week stay tuned for the after hours for fred myself james drew and the other the terps bs bird who's at home and hasn't been here in a while he'll get it back out here we'll see you guys next week see you